Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. Follow us on Facebook as well. We ask you to subscribe to our feed. Get those new episodes via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or go right to nationalreview.com. Listen and leave reviews at Apple and wherever else you can to help others find the show. We also direct you to our fine Patreon account, patreon.com slash politicalbeats. Support us and help the show stay ad-free as it is right now. There's entry level there for voting privileges. We just had a, uh, a call out for potential summer shows. Mid-level for early access to programs and get them at a higher audio quality. And our upper level best friends, early access, higher audio quality, monthly exclusive content shows, remastered episodes, playlists, and more. All of that at patreon.com slash political beats. We do hope to see you there. I'm Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner, as always, standing by, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? Feeling pretty megalomaniacal today, my friend. You know, because in the beginning, God made the sea. But on the seventh day, he made political beats. He was trying to rest, y'all, when he heard the sound. Sound like music nerds cold nerding down. (laughs) It is just a pleasure to hear your voice because this has been the most delayed show in Political (sighs) Beats history for many, many reasons, including weird things like jury duty. (laughs) And COVID. And COVID. Bizarre COVID policy. And, you know, like my son getting violently ill all last week as well. But we're here. We made it. We are ready to uh, talk about Prince, our third and final part of this Prince trilogy. Back is Eli Lake. He is contributing editor at Commentary, a fellow at the Clements Center at UT Austin, and the host of a new podcast uh, that, when we started the series, was about to debut. And if I remember correctly, Eli, and it's has now, three has years now old. debut. <laughs> yeah, has now debuted. Yeah, no, no, no. We have we have nine episodes up, and uh, I think Political Beats listeners would be interested in the episode on the art and the artist. Um, but it, check it out. It's a, I think it's a good, it's a, it's, I think it's a really good podcast. We, you guys, we have a theme, I do a monologue and then we have an interview. It is on the, guys are old enough. invite you we're, guys on at some point. Yeah. We're already celebrating your fest shift, you know, because you guys have been <laughs> around so long since we first started this journey. The podcast is called the reeducation with Eli Lake. It's on the nebulous network. You can check it out and also follow Eli on Twitter at Eli Lake. All right, boys and girls in the audience, we start part three here. And Jeff, it's been a little while, longer than usual, so you need to get us up to speed. Remind us where we left off and where where we are about to go. Where we left off is Prince back on top of the world. Diamonds and Pearls, 1991. I mean, he'd never gone away, right? You know, Batman was, of course, a huge cultural hit and all that. Graffiti Bridge, you know, had one hit single. But Diamonds and Pearls had a number one hit. It was a number one album. It was, you know, had a bunch of stuff that you heard on the radio, and it reestablished Prince as a mainstream artist. So you would have thought all was well in the land of Chanhassen, Minnesota. But it wasn't. <clears throat> and of course, this is where the uh, subtext that has just been boiling and rumbling underneath this show for the last couple episodes just it, it breaks open to the surface and it erupts like a volcano. And it governs, and some would argue, actually, that it ruins the rest of Prince's career. I would not go so far by any means, but it is impossible to understand Prince's music from 1992 to the end of his life, really, unless you understand the way he broke up with his record label, Warner Brothers. Everybody keeps trying to break my heart. Everybody except for me. 
this is the strangest sort of a fight for Prince to pick because, you know, to all accounts, Warner Brothers had been one of the more supportive labels of all time. I mean, they, they let him get away. He's the guy that let him pose on a codpiece for Dirty Mind. Right. They let him, you know, do Darling Nikki on Purple Rain. They, they spent, what, him, millions on one album? Millions on advanced. one album, you know, double albums. You know, like, you know, but the, like, the first time Warner Brothers ever said no to Prince was when he wanted to release a triple album. It's like, okay, listen, you know what? How about a double? Double's okay. That, to Prince, was an insult. And then you saw from Sign of the Times onward, after he'd gotten through that horrible, not horrible, but that very extended creative process that led to Sign of the Times, he became more and more confrontational with his record label. So Love Sexy is released as an album that has one conjoined song, right? And then, you know, uh, you know Diamonds and Pearls is normal. But here we have the next big thing, and that is the Love Symbol album. Why do we call it the Love Symbol album? Well, because it doesn't have a title. It's just that famous symbol that he would later adopt as a name. We'll get to that when we get to that. But for now, it's just the title of this album from 1992. His name is still Prince, and he is still funky. listen to the music you would hear things that were just in the normal trend from what you would heard on diamonds and pearls it sounds like he's still losing a battle against rap he does not understand hip-hop tony <laughs> I, M, I love that line eli eli i i, I want to <laughs> hear you just rail because i think this is some of the most most awkward crap i've ever heard man um the rap is bad the funk is amazing the hits are amazing this is a great album and yet under the surface Things are changing, and it all begins with that symbol, and maybe even with that weird cult circle that seems to be going on underneath it in the cover. It's, you know, one of those things. It seems like it's a photo taken of people gathered in a circle. They're engaging in some sort of weird rituals. There's a lot of weird religious subtext to this love symbol album that most people completely miss. But this is a great one, and it is the beginning of a very turbulent phase of Prince's career. Down. Talk to me, 
Well, that's certainly for sure. Um, but the Love Symbol album does have, I mean, I would say canon material in it. That, mm -hmm. So much of it. Oh, my yeah, gosh. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff there. It's just, I mean, there are songs that are classics. And I'm thinking of Sexy MF. Um, I That's, I mean, I don't know. Like, you would, I would characterize that as, you know, I don't know, like, really elite prince funk that is now like part of the prince standards in mm -hmm. some ways um and because he's got a new band and this is not a knock on the revolution because i think the revolution really allowed him to evolve it he was able to collaborate with Wendy and lisa and we spoke about that in the second episode a lot but the npg the new power generation are like they're even better. They're much better musicians in a lot of ways. They all kind of, they kind of. It's a qualitatively different band. The, yes. The Revolution were great for the '80s in that sort of new wave, synth-heavy, kind of lighter sheened '80s tone. Okay, that was perfect for what they were doing. But this is deep, heavy funk, and so you're going to get some. You need to get some really accomplished funk instrumentalists and and, and right. soul and R&B players. And it's there a lot. It, 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 Okay, so this is also has a lot to do with Sheila E., who's from Oakland, who is a great musician in her own right, and people that were in Sheila E.'s band then become part of the new, new power generation. I'm thinking of Levi Caesar, right. um, who is all over this record, and he does this. I mean, it's worth playing just his kind of guitar solo. It's so clean on Sexy MF, mm -hmm. but you can kind of hear that. He, you can hear it, and you can just kind of tell that this is a band that is like capable of doing much more uh, particularly on the improvisation side. In this same period, uh, I'm pretty sure about this, but like Prince is also now jamming with a separate side project called Madhouse, which is just doing jazz. Uh, so he's very much into now sort of defining himself. It's so ironic because, you know, he starts or he says, listen, I'm not R&B, I'm not rock, I'm everything. He's now very much kind of settled into an R&B sort of side of the, you know, that's, that's, that's his, very much his lane, especially on this album. Um, and funk. Um, anyway, just to kind of get into it, I want to emphasize two tracks that I think don't get the attention that are really brilliant. Um, love to the Nines. Uh, oh, dang. Oh, yes. Okay, go for it. I love this okay. song so much. Love well. to the Nines is a tour de force, and it's so good. I don't even mind the terrible Tony M rap <laughs> in the middle of it. I actually kind of think Maite, I like her, her like response to him where he's like, you know, name arabia age jailbait occupation of any sex symbol to many but i really got a beautiful mind i like that i don't yeah. mind that like banter i don't like tony m like it's almost like i just want her parts of it but uh and the guitar playing is just i mean it's it's so crystal it's so pure i love the sound that i think caesar and prince are getting on their on their on their instruments age. Big one, and I hope I'm not taking anything away, Jeff. That you were oh, morning papers. Yeah, that's great. One. That's the that's is a phenomenal power ballad. It's in that 
Purple Rain category. It He's sort of talking directly in this, which is a theme throughout the Love Symbol album of, you know, the press getting him wrong and like all this other stuff. But it's phenomenal. And, you know, the fact that he's still kind of capable of giving of not just writing, but like really delivering this stuff shows that it's not fair to say that, well, you know, Prince had this imperial period. It ended around, you know, Sign of the Times, Love Sexy. And now it's all just downhill because this is it's like, you know, you, we don't have to compare it necessarily, but it's still really compelling music, original music. And, you know, I, I do think that if you're serious about trying to dive into the discography, this is not one that you can skip. You realize that she was new to love, naive in every way, every schoolboy's fantasy she was, that's why he had to wait. If they pour his heart into a glass and offered it like wine, she could drink and be back in time with the morning papers. They could take a walk down the ocean side, make a wish on every wave. They could find a carousel and ride. I mean, I, my thesis throughout the rest of the show is going to be that Prince throughout the 90s, you know, basically you know, right after he stops being commercially, you know, the huge star that he is, is just as good as the stuff that you heard about from the 80s. It's just that he self-sabotaged endlessly over and over again. So you'll keep hearing me return to this thesis. <laughs> Speaking of self-sabotage, in a way that, that was just so clever that it didn't even end up sabotaging it, we got to talk for a second about Sexy MF. My my friends, that was the last Prince song that I was aware of as a kid. When I was like, I think, 12 years old, I would have been 11 or 12 years old at the time. And why was I? Because, man, our afternoon drive DJs, Don and Mike, they loved <laughs> that song. They loved that song because what they would do is I remember it so well. I was sitting there and they were like, hey, you guys, hey, you know, the new Prince album is out. Here's the new Prince single. And then they play the opening song. Do, 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 do. You know, that, that little hot groove. And then they go, bow, 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 bow. Yeah. You sexy motherfucker. We're all alone in the villa of the Riviera. Got some friends on the south side in case you cared. Out of all of your friends, I want to be the closest. That's why I tell you things so you'll be the mostest. When it comes to life, to be this man's wife, you got to be well educated on the subject of fights. I mean, the prevention of, in other words, it's Ariel, meaning of this thing called love. Are you up on this? If something you can get up off a hug and a kiss, come in, baby. You sexy motherfucker. Come here, baby. Yeah. You sexy motherfucker. I love that thing because it's just so like right up. Okay, when he gets to the end, then it gets like pretty vulgar. Sexy mother effort. Shaking that ass. Shaking that ass. That's Tony uh, M though. It's like he just like why? I don't know. I but just, prior to that, it's actually rather coy. It's yeah. just like a Prince seduction song, and then into the chorus, just straight up, you sexy motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. It's a comedy track as well as being one of the hottest funk grooves you'll ever hear. 
it's it I, I do see it. it's in that category it's like it's part of like the kiss stuff it's like mm, it's, mm-hmm. it's just peak prince funk right? yeah. ed prince and sexy mf yes scott yes yeah. one of, that's one of the great songs and i think as eli said earlier it is sort of of the canon from this last era we're talking about today and it will not leave your mind that shiming rhythm guitar the horn charts fantastic there's little hammond organ fills it's a fully you know it's a fully realized prince song and it's fantastic eli talked about the morning papers which uh is is one of the highlights on love symbol the album as a whole what i'd say is this um as you guys know this is all new and i i go uh chronologically so this is the first album i heard from this period and i thought that's a, that's a good that's a very good album and it's it's to part of jeff's point and to the strength of the material here that the more i listened um not the less I like Love Symbol, but I think he actually creates better music in the next few years. Uh, Love Symbol, I think, is a bit of a, of, a, of a hammock record. There's great stuff in the front, and there's great stuff in the back. In the middle is where, as, as Jeff so wonderfully put it, he begins to fight that losing battle with rap occasionally, like on the flow <laughs> and in other places. Um, and I, I think when he's not really chasing trends or, or trying to sound too modern is where a lot of those shines where he sort of leans back on that great funk that jeff talked about um what else uh, you know toward the end um and god created woman is just this very sensual spiritual soulful sound great counter melodies on, on, the, on the backing vocals uh the use of horns on a number of uh, songs on, on this is is really special um where else do i want to go here uh, eli mentioned love to the nines Okay, I, I gotta talk about My Name is Prince. I know Jeff adores this song, and I can't... It's so silly! It's just, just a stupid, dumb boast, man. <laughs> it is, but you don't... Till I, I get your daughter, I won't leave this town. Yeah, yeah my, my name is Prince, and I am funky. I mean, it's just, like, so almost rock stupid that you've gotta love it. What? Okay, what's your objection? I think of two things when I think of My Name is Prince. And one is, of course, we, we always sort of lean back on the We Are the Clash uh, song from, right. from, from from Cut the Crap, which was just If you atrocious. have to say, you aren't it, right. Right, and then the other thing I think about is, I got probably around, well, a couple of years after this, when, when ha- MC Hammer dropped the MC and deemed himself the funky headhunter when he went sort of <laughs> hardcore rep, like, I, I don't know why I, that pops in my, not the song, but just the move, like, yeah, now I'm the funky headhunter. Like, Prince doesn't have to say, my name is Prince and I am funky. He's Prince. He's been well, doing he it for more than a decade. psychology of Prince and that's going to be a very relevant consideration for this show for these particular albums um, yeah it does betray a bit of insecurity doesn't it yeah it's a, <clears throat> this whole album betrays so much weirdness underneath the hood though Scott I mean that's just that's the tip of the iceberg there's an entire sequence we didn't even mention it 
how encased in 1992 Amber is this? There's an entire sequence of like little like interstitial phone conversations on this album that are Prince talking with Kirstie Alley of Cheers. Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> Back in like when she was still like, you know, like, you know, sex bomb cues in Star Trek as the uh, the traitor, I believe, or something like that. Um, uh, and uh, that is just like 1992 in a nutshell, sort of like Kim Basinger pop popping up on the Bad Man album. <laughs> But but then you get to a song like Seven, Seven, which I consider to be one of Prince's greatest singles, one of his greatest songs. I think it's the best song on this album. It's just this massive title hook, you know, Oh Seven and We'll Watch Them Fall. Um, you love that lyric. You love that, 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 that graceful melody, that groove. And then you listen to the words of that song and you realize, whoa, Prince is into some weird-ass Christian scene right now. Because that is like weird prophetic stuff about like, you know, we're going to sand it. We're going to lay down on the sand in the sea and animosity will stand and decree that we speak not of love, only blasphemy. And then the in distance, six others will curse us. There's this numerology, you know, that I don't even grasp. This is going to come into play once again on Emancipation. I don't get all the number stuff, man. But the <laughs> Prince is playing on levels here lyrically, like levels of lyrical, of religious obsession that, that go completely over the heads of you know, most listeners. And frankly, they go over my head as well because all I know is that, you know, one day all seven will die. Do I have any idea what that means? I don't know. I don't. But I just know I really love the melody. There will be a new city with the streets of God. It's interesting with Prince because there's always this duality to it where he, he has... Sacred and profane. My wife was exactly. pointing it yeah. out the other day. It's, it's yeah, always it's, the, it's the sacred and the profane. Because this album starts off wonderfully profane. And then you have a song like Seven, which is this kind of weird, you're right, numerological, spiritual. I think he's very influenced by Jehovah. He's a Jehovah's Witness and, right. at this point, and, and this is something that is informing his lyric writing really throughout this i mean throughout the rest of his career um and i think seven is part of that well i mean the one thing i want to say before i move on from this era this era kind of formally wraps up what you call it's like the you know the hits era and the reason we think of that is because what came out right after this is the i say you know we we do these two albums at the end of each of our episodes but i say ultimately you know that that gives you six albums since we've done three episodes the number one place you start is with what comes in 1993 and that is the hits the b-sides it's a three cd set we don't need to spend 
really any time on it because like almost every single song has been discussed right. earlier in this show. Even the B-sides. Um, even the B-sides. And that's the point. It's a three-CD set, two CDs of hits, one CD of B-sides. And I could quibble with you know an omission here or there, but it is basically just perfect as an introduction to this guy. You're going to need to go get all those albums eventually. But to get the full score of what he was doing from 1978 all the way to this point in time, 1993, I can't recommend anything better than to start with the way I started. You can listen to the album the way it's arranged, or you can, you know, do what I do and like, you know, make a playlist where it's all chronological. It's up to you, but this is a great way to begin. I don't know if either of you guys have any particular thoughts about this little, you know, set of hits, uh, but I, 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 I'll say this one last thing: the the apocryphal, and I believe it to be apocryphal story about the hits is that Warner Brothers actually gave Prince money to go away, right. <laughs> to let them just do it themselves. So don't you get involved. Don't you try to tweak the track listing. Just leave it to us. I don't believe that's true because Prince actually donates a lot of really cool outtakes and like rarities to and, the and set. And he records two new tracks. Right. Pink Cashmere and Pope, which and are... those are not minor songs. Those are really No, they're really songs. good songs. I love Pink Cashmere. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Pink Cashmere is, yeah. It, 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 it's, it, Pink Cashmere is kind of in that, that cream, diamonds and pearls funk kind of a groove. It's a fantastic track. fits in perfectly well i believe it's on the second disc uh but yeah try the hits and the b-sides if you really haven't heard anything by him and you just want to plunge in it's a great way to start uh now this of course is where everything just goes completely pear-shaped for uh Prince uh, and his record label and their relations. And I'm actually going to turn the floor over, unless I'm tossing a grenade into your lap, Eli. I'm going to turn the yeah. floor over to you to explain this because honestly, it's never entirely made sense to me on an emotional level. It seems like Prince's war with Warner Brothers was born less out of anything Warner Brothers did to him than you know his own issues that he was having in his relationship to both fame and music and his competitive nature but i'd like to know if there's something i'm missing all right so so let's start by saying technically it's about ownership of his masters, masters yes and so and the and a little footnote um we're in the 90s now one of prince's you know huge iconic hits is 1999 and he Later on, and we're not going to discuss this because it's not really worth discussing, he remixes 1999 once he's left Warner's, and it's not as good. Yeah, it's terrible. But this is really like a it's, a, it's a fight over who owns this music, and um, in that respect, uh, you know, you could maybe argue that Prince kind of has a sliver of a point, but as you covered before, this is a record company that not only allowed him to record an album like Dirty Mind when it 
kind of mattered, like right in the 80s, in the, in the Reagan era, right before we had the PMRC and everything like that. But they supported him, uh, you know, spending a lot of money on that first album that didn't do anything on the charts that, you know, then he has that one, the, the, his first breakout hit with Prince Prince. But there was no guarantee that Prince was going to become this hugely successful artist. And they still supported him and let him do his thing and basically let him continue to have all this creative control at the very young age of 19, 20, and 21. It's, it's so important to emphasize that they didn't force him into a box because this is what happens to almost every artist. Right. Whether mm-hmm. you're like, you know, in the 90s, you're a grunge act or you're a soul and R&B act in the 70s. You have your lane. Stay in your lane. All right. And, and Prince, actually, the reason he signed with Warners is they had the reputation of saying, OK, you know what? We're going to let you just try some crazy. This is the, the label that did Randy Newman, you know, you know, that would, would, would back artists that sold 200 copies of a record if they believed in them artistically. It's Neil Young's record label, Joni Mitchell's. And so that was Prince's. And they actually just said, yeah, we, we'll let you do. Yeah, we signed you. We're thinking you're an R&B prodigy, but you want to do rock and roll, go do rock and roll. And it might be weird rock and roll, but we're going to see it. And they, they supported it, too. They didn't just If you want to do out. Christian rock, if you want to do French cabaret, if you want to, whatever. I mean, Prince did everything. Yeah. And they Look at us. We're standing up for the big labels. I mean, what kind of corporatists are we? <laughs> well, I would just say to, to support our point here, Jeff, is that, uh, and I've referenced this book before. I really recommend it if you're into Prince, but Neil Carlin's uh, book, he, he was both a journalist for Rolling Stone, but also became a, a friend of Prince. Uh, over the years and and, and kind of an, an interesting kind of person who Prince would call at three in the morning and like really unload to. And Neil Carlin, who is who writes, I think, from a very sympathetic perspective as both a friend and a journalist, does say in this period when he's describing it, saying it was very unfair what Prince said about Lenny Warner and the people who originally signed him at Warner Brothers because they were always like seen in the in a in a shady industry as really pretty good guys who were very pro artists and they were generous with prince and prince was being you know an impossible diva in a lot of ways in this period i mean they let him make they let him make under a cherry moon i mean they they were like fine (laughs) do it you know like great so it's it's they let him submit this 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 next thing that he does they go to war with him this they're just sort of like sitting there grimacing, okay? Like, what what does he do? You know, his, his response is that this is the famous point where a prince becomes, uh, as I we used to call him, Taff Cap, um, the artist yes. formerly known as Prince. And he changes his name officially, artistically, to that symbol, that weird male-female combo symbol that you saw on the cover of the Love Symbol album. Uh, and then he submits simultaneously to – this is so this is so funny. He submits two late two records simultaneously to the record label. One of them, he wants them to market under the name Prince. His old name, the name everyone knows. It's resolutely uncommercial. It has no hit singles. Whatever hit singles might have been on it, he removed from them on purpose. It's called Come. And now here's the album full of all the hit singles. I want you to market it under the name Unpronounceable Symbol. <laughs> the symbol. You can't market it. Buy this album by Nobody by by thing. <laughs> like imagine the radio ad by the artist formerly known as Prince, which is what we ended up calling it. Because how what else could you say? You can't say by the album, by the new album by Love Symbol. You know you can't do that. But this is what I mean when I say perversely intentional difficulty, which has, in retrospect, totally you know 
disguised what I think is some truly fantastic music. Almost all of this music is truly fantastic. But this is where it all just falls into the into the era where because he's at war with his label, you didn't hear about this as much. It did these first few albums did okay in the charts. He didn't just disappear entirely. But when we think of the Prince Canon, it's very notable that it really always ends somewhere around the time of that Love Symbol album. And then we don't really think maybe the most beautiful girl in the world. It's like the last Prince song that most people would say they know. And that's one year later. It's 1994. Um, why is and that? And by the way, this podcast will correct that. This podcast we will know We know not... of other albums that later on that should, that should be absolutely considered part of the canon this 100%. Is the, yeah. This is the precise point is that it's not because Prince's music suddenly got bad. It's not because he lost it, which happens so often with other artists we've covered on this show. Like, geez, talking heads after Stop Making Sense. Woo do not want to go there again um prince did not lose it he, he does lose it later but from what for the next you know several albums this is as good as anything uh, you'll hear in the early 90s or in the late 80s and it's a shame that not ma- as many people know about it actually i think the weakest of these records is the one that we deal with first mm-hmm. which is come 1994 i like this album but it is absolutely clear that it, it bears all the hallmarks of a record that he made intentionally to not have a hit and not have a hook it's a fun groove album, and I do like that last song, "Let It Go." It's the only yes. time that, on the record where it's a real song. That's where opinion. that's where he was wrong, and that you know, there's no singles. There's one. "Let It Go" is fantastic. That, that fantastic song. I don't know. It seems well. It probably is exactly what you were talking about because to my ears, "Let It Go" is like you know the right artist after "Diamonds and Pearls." Right? It's still still not that far away at the right time with the right song and the right groove with the gigantic, huge hook and that sort of sputtering, puttering, uh, that turnaround groove, which is so good, thick bass line. Those knocks, there are, there are so many ways that, that, that Let It Go grabs you. That's, that's the clear single on the album. And I think it was released as a single, I but it didn't it was. do very well. I want to do, do this. Do, do, do what I do. Let it go. It's hard to market it when you, you know. With, okay, okay. With all remember, the chaos this going is on. the one they feel allowed it's to be marketed Prince. under right, the name right, Prince. Right. right. This one is Prince, uh, and then what's the cover of Come? All right. First of all, it's called that, which you know, dirty name, right? But he's also posing in front of a tombstone that mm-hmm. says "R.I.P. Prince," and I think it's something like nine. Is it? Is it 1978? 1958 to, like, to 1993. There you go. Yeah. Right. And so like he's like subtlety. He's not into subtlety, as we'll see when we get to chaos and disorder in terms of album covers and sending messages. It's very clear that he wanted this to fail. But the funny thing about Prince is that even when he wants it to fail, he still comes up with really good grooves. This is, this is to my mind, like, you know, we've been talking about all oh, these great outtakes you can find now as bonus tracks. Well, like, I think of stuff like the title track or Pheromone or Papa and Race. 
those would be great grooves, jams. It's like purple music. We talked about it on our first show. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of it's just a lot of stuff in that vein. But you're right; they're not fully formed songs. Eli, do you have any thoughts? Well, I I want to just highlight two tracks on it that we're not discussed. One is yeah. called Dark. That's which great. I actually That's think... great. Yep. Good. Yes. No, it's and not a single, but it's great. It's not a single, but and there's a there's an even in my view better version of it. Uh, that's kind of remixed on Crystal Ball, but I love Dark. Prince groove. I mean, it's it's different, but it reminds me a little bit of of how controversy is this like super long opening groove, and come kind of has that quality because I think it's ten minutes, and um, you know, I, it, 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 you, you should listen to it because when you it, it, I compare come chaos and disorder uh, that comes next to it's not a perfect analogy, um, but if you're if you follow basketball, it's kind of like James Harden trying to play his way off of the Houston Rockets and then, uh, you know, the the Brooklyn Nets. Except the difference is that James Harden was actually bad and terrible for my, for my 76ers in the playoffs. Whereas Prince, try as he might to like, hey, here's a, here's a load of crap. It's still a great record. You know, it's like, it, was okay. like, it was like shoeless Joe Jackson on the White Sox, right? Yeah, like, like, he was tanking. He couldn't right. tank, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's like he's like, exactly, he's like, he's like, yeah, okay, I'll show them. And then, like, oh, yeah, you know. His version of tanking was batting 400 as opposed right, to, like, like exactly, right. You should do that, girl. You should do that, baby. I do think Jeff's right here in that, for, for, for my ears, there are too many tracks that just don't develop out of that groove uh, and become something more or better than, than sort of the initial the initial plan, the initial layout. I, I think there's two and a half great songs here, uh, and we've already talked about all of them. I think Yeah, Come, no, and Let It Go is really terrific. I mean, yeah. I, I co-sign on that. Yeah. It's, it's one of, it's one of the, the gems from the 90s. Yeah, I, I think Come has a really undeniable groove, a little long for my taste, it's 11 minutes. And then Dark is, again, not, not a single, but such a relief from everything else on the album. It has 
uh, a lighter feel to it, and it's a great song. And then, and then let it go. I think those are the the, the real key songs from here, uh, and the rest are are slightly too monochromatic for my tastes as as sort of uh, the, the, these jams and, and grooves that don't quite develop into something better than they, than they could be. All right. So the question is, what happened to Prince? And then the answer I always give to people about what happened to Prince after, like you know, Love Symbol after the you know the greatest hits album first place you send them is to the one that he forced them to market under a name called the love symbol and that's the gold experience people forget about the gold experience i think one reason they do is because it's been out of print forever because of a stupid copyright dispute over a bs claim uh the most beautiful girl in the world was a hit single warners wanted him to put it on cum he said no 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 it's too good for that album that album's <laughs> being marketed under prince so again he says screw you i'm gonna hold it over from my 1995 album, puts it on this one. You know that song. It's a big hit. Everything else on this album is great, but that one was claimed by some Italian copyright trolls saying that he ripped it off of some song that was, you know, like, I think, you know, recorded in, you know, Italy in 1980 and forgotten about. And an Italian court, notoriously corrupt, said, yes, it is. And so Prince being Prince said, screw you, and took the whole album out of print. And I think that combined with Prince being, you know, his, you know, insufferable self at this point that he was is why you don't know nearly as much about this fantastic album. And I mean, take out the silly operator tracks. And I, you know what? I, I don't, don't, I don't mind those actually. You know, like, like 20 I like the way they kind of flow or you help the, help the flow a little bit. You know, it's, it's you know, they're okay. You know, they're, they're saving grace is that they're short. Yes, right? very if, if short. There was, if it was like like a two-minute-long skit track or something like that, like you get those on hip-hop albums and things. I hate them. But these are okay. But this has some of the most fantastic music of the 90s that he did. And I'll start right up with P-Control, uh, Pussy Control. I can say it. It's not actually a curse word. He's talking about felines. All right? He's talking about he's a crazy cat lady. You know, he's got like 200. <laughs> all right? You know, and they're all running around Paisley Park, you know, and he's got – he doesn't know how to handle them. And so so he's – you know, he had to call animal control. And so that's what the song is about. No, it's got one of the most ridiculously sick, infectious synth hooks I have heard since Controversy. All right? That, that synth hook in P-Control is basically the best one that he did in this entire decade, in my opinion. Can I tell you what I'm thinking that you already know? You need a motherfucker that respects your name. Now say it, Pussy Control. Are you ready? And the more this motherfucker is, ladies, make a Mac like to know you are, was, and always will be pussy control. Are you ready? Oh, wow. Say what? Oh no, don't you think I'm popping her home? Juvenile delinquent, better sit your ass down. 
disagree. I love no, it. No, it's not. I, I, I it's like, just like it's insidious. It's insidiously silly is the way I would describe it. It is insidiously silly. But there's so many other great songs. This is where all the rock music got stashed. So you got like stuff like Endorphin Machine. Straight up rock song. It's yep. fantastic. It's the rockest thing you did in many of you. song this is this yeah. is one that's yeah. going to make my top five it's not the most beautiful girl it's dolphin you've got like you know so, songs like 319 the only problem i have with 319 it's that this really sleek robo rock track but i have to say it was better when it was kiss oh i i think it's the power station <laughs> that's great i love it All right, it yeah, was totally like it's totally kiss right right so, the, 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 the knock i'll make on the gold experiences is sometimes you hear him repeating some of his old tricks but on the other hand, nobody else ever knew how to even try these tricks, so I don't mind them hearing them repeated once or twice. I think The Gold Experience is just an outstanding, outstanding album. It, it holds together so well. And I, I do think those 20-second tracks actually add to the, the experience, no pun intended. I, I think it flows together very well. We often talk about how difficult it is to, and we will very <laughs> in a moment, how difficult it is to sort of sink your teeth into Prince because these albums are overloaded. There's triple and doubles and B-sides. And this is one time in one album in which you, you can sort of digest it in a single setting and, and, and really absorb all the material. And it's great material. I think I'm with Jeff in that, Oddly enough, one of my least favorite tracks here is the one that everyone knows, which is the most beautiful girl in the world. And I don't know. It's how... a nice ballad. It's just what you know. I mean, he's done so many of those ballads that I have to admit, it's the one style of his where the songs sometimes seem to run together a bit for me. And I don't know exactly what it is because I I like Prince's falsetto. The falsetto doesn't work for me in the most beautiful girl in the world, and I think that's one of the reasons I. I don't like it quite as much as things elsewhere on the album. But Jeff already, already identified Dolphin. Uh, yeah, that's on my list of, well, I guess it'll double up on lists of five at the end because it's one of the greatest songs of this of this era. Um, I love that, that, that elevation and the melody and, the, and just post-chorus. Uh, just one of his, you know, we talked, Endorphin Machine is one of his pure, you know, most pure rock sort of moments. Dolphin is one of his best pure pop sort of moments in, in very recent years. Yeah. That's just a fantastic, fantastic song. Oh, I let you tell me 
deeper into the album. I think it's what the the last track is is the, the title track. I think Gold. it's the best final best final track on any Prince album. It's I might so good. I think Prince is quoted as saying he sort of saw it as the next Purple Rain, and there's uh, some you know there's some truth to that. It, I get the yeah, I get the ambition for sure. Yeah, the, the the one thing I'd say against it, it's a little bright. The production's a little bright on that song. It's a little mm-hmm. high end. And it sort of smashes against the ears at times when you have all these fluttering synths and guitars going on. But that's a small, small thing to sort of pick at. Uh, and by the end, we're all named uh, New Power Generation members, right? So yeah. congratulations to all of us. Uh, great guitar solo on gold, which I think is one of the reasons it does get the Purple Rain comparison. But that's a fantastic way to close the album. Everybody wants to sell Shy, uh, someone where he sort of pulls back on the production and, and shows you uh, acoustic oh, guitar, tambourine. No, he doesn't just pull. No, he, I don't think he pulls back on the production. I think he leans in because mm. there's something really clever on Shy, and it's that opening beat that sounds like like uh, like heels, heels mm. clicking. Mm. It sounds like footsteps walking. So the heels click the beat. And it just gives you that great intimate effect, which yeah. isn't like you know big layered you know you know strings here and there. It's just a quiet touch that makes it such a beautifully intimate song. After a month of just being alone, he said, I wonder what LA's thinking. Streets are roamed in search of a poem amongst the wild and drinking. When he sees cool dark skin and hot virgin white, the search was over at least for tonight. When she co-signed and told him she was shy Cool dark skin and hot virgin white Shy Lips ain't warm but her body's ain't might Shy Looks like we're gonna take the long way home tonight Oh baby I listened to this mowing the lawn on uh, this past Saturday, and again, it's just it, it's but it's an album that lends itself to that sort of sort of activity where you can put it on and really enjoy all of it, start to finish. It's tracked well, it is sequenced well, and I think it's it's one of the Prince albums from this era that that really holds together so well. 
And I'll say this. I may not love the most beautiful girl in the world that much either, Scott, but I will always be grateful to it because it gave us Flight of the Concords singing the most beautiful girl in this room, <laughs> which is one of the great, great parodies of Prince that you'll ever hear. This is Bowie to Bowie. That's another parody. That's another, that's another, another great parody from the Concords. Um, okay. Uh, I don't want to be the skunk at the garden party. Oh, so you don't like it. <laughs> it's not that I don't like it, but... <laughs> Do you think that gold is the best? I mean, what about it's going to be lonely or purple rain? I mean, I don't know. I just feel like okay. Well, you know what? It's I like be lonely. I mean, uh, purple rain. I've always it's, again. That's my like. It's overrated track. That's my old crusty Prince Fair like, enough. super fan track where I'm like, oh, it's been done. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, I've heard it too many times. Yeah, yeah. Exactly yeah. that kind of thing. No, I agree. Listen, this whole album is basically a deep cut for the reasons that you said. So. In so far as there are real Prince fans that probably, I mean, there are people who are like who are into Prince that still probably don't know it. Definitely check it out. Um, but I just, I would not. I, and then there's, and we're gonna get to the truth in a, in a little bit. I would say the closing track, "Welcome to the Dawn," on that is better than Gold too. But let's, we'll leave that for later. Um, "I Hate You" uh, is an interesting song, um, and I don't want to bring up uh, this, a, a song that we're gonna just talk about. That's part of an, another record that. We're, we're not going to spend a lot of time on, but it's the beginning of uh, Prince's hate songs. And um, it's, uh, it's pretty good. I mean, because... Because subtlety I, is not, as I said before, subtlety, not what Prince does. <laughs> so when he writes a song called I Hate You, he means yeah, it. Yeah, you get the it's, vibe. Well, it's the thing is, is that like the lyrics are like, it's I hate you. And then the music is it, like, oh, man, this could have been, you know, so nice. maybe part two or something. Like, it's I like, know. whoa, what's going on here? And so I love that. I love that. Like, it's such a curveball. And it's kind of it's he freshens up the formula with that little tweak makes it interesting again, because you're right. At this point, he has certain archetypes of stuff that he does and it it's like yeah you we've, we've heard versions of this and and here we go again and i hate you i just love that tweak so i would just <laughs> I, I i emphasize that one I never I mean, I think I, I think I've said everything I need to say about this album. Yeah. I, I'll only re-emphasize that, like, yeah, it was out of print for so long. I think it's back in print now, but it's weird that this one is just well. It's not weird because yes, this is the point at which every one of these records that comes, I'm going to be talking about how he's like self-sabotaging, how he just cannot. It, it goes beyond just uh, you know being at war with the record label because. 
you know, he's simply not trying to be heard by as many people as he could be. When you make the decision to release something with zero promotion or to give them a fire hose blast of three CDs all at once, you're basically saying, like, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming what is it with the spinal tap? I'm increasingly selective for my audience because, you know, you're making it hard to hear your work. And of course, the one that comes up next are these albums that he basically produced under duress for uh, Warner Brothers, the last two ones on the label. Uh, these are normally dismissed, if they're even talked about at all, by both critics and fans. And I guess I'm going to be that weirdo guy here to say that both Chaos and Disorder, the universally panned Prince album from 1996, and Old Friends for Sale, which is a vault release, he submitted both of them simultaneously and said, you know, do what you want, I'm done. Uh, these are both fantastic records. One of them, the one that came out at the time, Chaos and Disorder, we'll talk about that first. That's a big guitar-heavy album. It's, it's actually Prince going rocker-heavy for the most part. Although my favorite, actually, my favorite song on it is Dinner with Dolores, which is just... <laughs> oh, very, that's mine too. Yeah, yeah, very clever. Kind of right. reminds me, I think, uh, not surprisingly, of like Ballad of Dorothy Parker, Dorothy and Dolores for some reason, but it has a similar kind of conversational stroll and a style to it. just a break since tries to tank he can't tank because these are all compelling and interesting guitar songs and guitar based approaches to this music so uh this is the one where i'm sure everybody else disagrees with me well i do uh it's okay <laughs> it's okay of course it For is now you, um, get, you get three strikes and then you're out yeah this is this is one you know from and again he, he's in the middle of a pretty big winning streak here this is one I think does clank a bit, and I don't think it's intentional. You know, I, 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 well, Jeff can tell you more about the cover, I guess, in a, in, a, in a second. But you know, I, I, I think he he went for something. It is definitely a more guitar-based album. The first what three, four tracks, I mean, you could probably place them in any, any grunge album from this sort of ninety-five, ninety-six era, and they'd fit right in. Uh, my favorite track is "I Like It There," which again. That that template or, or the sound, you could put that in any, any sort of album that was being released in that time in the rock genre. The, the guitar, the solo guitar intro leading to big bass and drums and then a, a big time buzzy riff carrying things through. I mean, that's just a template that lots of bands were using at that time. And Prince does pull it off well. I think that's my favorite song on Chaos and Disorder. Anyone could see what's come over me. Don't you know it's cause of you? Look at me. 
higher percentage of sort of clunkers here i i don't like like xana lee i don't like uh i will uh right the wrong ends up pretty good because there's a little twist on sort of the the guitar based format that that is followed through many of these songs there's some there's like a little new orleans style part with horns um into the light is an okay track i i, I just didn't find myself and <laughs> thanks to our longer lead up uh than usual for a show like this uh, I had more time to do so. I didn't find myself circling back to hear things, certain tracks I really liked on Chaos and Disorder. And I think it just isn't as as effective. It isn't as great as a lot of things from this era. I know Jeff likes it because it's short. That's one reason. 11 songs, 39 minutes. And I, I, you I know, also... You, you know me so well, Scott. Uh, I, I had this point in my notes. <laughs> I, said, I literally wrote 39 minutes. I love it. Give me more. I, Give me more of less is actually like my motto when it, when it comes to album making. I actually would have liked for him. I, I I would have been at least more intrigued if he if the rest of the album was more in the mold of those first couple of songs, and he sort of drifts away from that the longer the album goes on. I I, I think there's just a higher percentage of songs that don't hit the mark through Chaos and Disorder. It's one of my again least favorite from this era. Now, Eli, I know you've been very vocal on Twitter, I mean, including getting into fights with people about how Chaos and Disorder is your favorite Prince album. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, a big okay. few the other day. It was terrible, yeah. All right, so true, uh, I, I had, so a little, little behind the scenes here, um, Jeff and I had been DMing for almost a year before we decided we, we actually did the Prince things, and... At one point, I think I DM'd you and I said, are you going to like Chaos and Disorder? Because I was re-listening to it at the time. I was like, you know, this, I bet Jeff is going to like this. And I think at first you're like, I don't know. You know, you, were, you weren't focused on it yet. And uh, you proved me right. You, you ended up, yeah. I mean, and so I then... Your ominous to... foreboding proved out, yes. Um, when this came out, I was at a point in my life uh, in my early 20s where I bought every Prince record, like, as soon as they were released and this is before streaming so you had to go to the store and you know ask for the latest prince record and the artist um, formerly known as my very close friends from philadelphia we're all prince fans and i remember having a conversation with my and friend the worst Matt. part about it is that if you went to the store like two weeks later it was a new prince record so <laughs> basically yeah exactly uh and i said what is going on with this record and he, he he sort of said listen i think i found 30 seconds that are great prince and then the rest of it's just trash now that led me for until we started doing this podcast like i just did i just put it aside i said you know life's too short i re-listened to it especially after the email i really i re-listened to it you know before and then again after the email that you sent us a couple days ago and it's not as bad as i remember so i will say that uh it's uh dinner with galars is actually i think a really good song but the same december is also great i love into the light these are all Okay, like the the most stupid. It, it, this kind of gets back to um, Scott's point about you know if you have to say your name is Prince, that that that's never good. So I rock, therefore I am. Yeah, that's 
Yeah, that sounds like an ACDC song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. And had I kind of like the closing track, Had You, I think is, um, oh, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's melancholy. It reminds me of like, I don't know, some of the sweeter late Beatles stuff in a way. Like there's a, like, there's a, there's a, there's that vibe. And, and I, I, so I, I, I'm a, I like Prince and this was better than I thought, but it doesn't really stand out. And it's, I, I sort of put chaos and disorder in the gold experience into like, yeah, there's some good moments uh, as opposed to calm and love symbol, which I do think are, are better. Or I, I don't know. Calm I would also put into the love symbol is I think it's just a different quality. It's a different tier uh, than, than these three, but they're not as bad as I thought. And um, again, it's like so funny. He's not capable of tanking. You know what I mean? Like he, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to play my way off this team and, you know, average 30 points a game or something. You know? There's also a pretty funny self-pitying song hidden away at the end of this album, which has got a great title called Dig You Better Dead. Yeah. Which is saying like, uh, you know, you see, I, th- I think he's really talking about critics saying like, you know, I dig you better dead. You know, I think I'm going to like you. He's all vulnerable, appreciate by a weird way. Saying, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to like you uh, later on, you know, when you're gone, you know, you know, when I have time to appreciate you. And he's saying, you know, that same somebody said, I dig you better dead, but I'd much rather see if your God is what you say, say, say. So he turns it into a religious statement. It's a very interesting track. I dig you better dead. I dig you better dead. cover is just like you know a mess i think the gatefold there's like a, a a human heart in a toilet which gives you a sense of prince's uh iconography and how he feels like he was being treated by his record label so he submitted this one at the same time with one last collection of outtakes and it's the last thing that was released for warner Brothers. it didn't come out until several years later right but this is where you should deal with it because it, it, it's all warner's material and i think it is secretly one of his great unappreciated records it's called the vault old friends for sale um most of the stuff is really only as old as like 1993 it, it's from the band that was playing on the uh love symbol tour they came off the road and it was like a big band that funk but they they're both they're really playing lots of jazzy things too yeah and lots of like funky horns all over this thing some james brown licks mm. this is like a weird forgotten record that i adore and i honestly don't know if i take a single thing off of it maybe the the one minute my little pill where he's talking about his like his, his little happy pills which again another thing uh, ominous in some ways but the vault old friends for sale it's the the prince album you never knew existed and you've got to go find in my opinion yeah i uh dm'd jeff last night listening to uh, okay so this is a good comparison because i just said you know chaos and disorder i found myself not you know circling back and sort of revisiting 
I would go I go back again and again to find things on old friends for sale that I that I really love. And I, I messaged Jeff last night. I was like, this album is so good. And of course, I'm the Prince Neophyte. I didn't even know that this existed. But it's fantastic. It's uh you know, Jeff meant it's it's And it is not characteristic of his other work it's too. It's not and it's fun. It's just it's it's, it's open a fun and loose. listen. Uh you know, light funk and some jazz. It starts with this just wonderful rave up the rest of my life with pianos and horns it's just outstanding i was listening to like the fourth time to she spoke to me which is like an eight and a half minute track and you know what the, you know what it reminded me of it's, it's steely okay, dan steely dan is what it reminded me of like, okay i'll tell you what it reminded me yeah. now and you're hearing the same vibes there was a section in the middle there where it's just the horns playing and it sounds like you know fusion jazz it sounds yeah. like miles davis's band in 1970 and i've been listening to tons of miles recently I had it on last night, and I thought, wait, is that my Miles playlist playing, or is that Prince? Because I thought for a second it was Miles Davis. And that's the sort of stylistic breadth. He does like a really lame jazz album we'll talk about as a joke later on. Um, but this is like Prince doing something real jazz. Not like, you know, taking a jazzy mode or a chord here or there. But like, yeah, this is like an actual, you know, a jazz breakdown, and it works so well. <laughs> There are individual tracks here that even rank among his best. Uh, five women. Love it. I know yeah. Joe Cocker covered it, or actually gave it to Cocker first, I think, and then yes. took it back to do it here on Old Friends for Sale. Cocker's version is not great. Prince's is so good. Laid back, bluesy groove. It's the story of uh, you know, a heartbreak and then the, his, his romantic conquest from March to July, and it takes you know five women to get you off my mind. Oh, it's so good and so it's just not like things that he had been doing. I, I really like Five Women an awful lot. April, you bring the shower. This time it was a hurting kind. This woman said she wanted my baby. I told her I'd have to be deaf, dumb, and blind. Fall in love with someone. And then you go a little deeper, and the one that popped out to me after a few listens is uh, There is Lonely, which is only about two and a half minutes long. It's just this hauntingly 
almost tender moment from Prince, which you don't get very often. You know, the chorus is, there is lonely, and then there's what I'm feeling right now, right? It's something worse. It's something past even lonely. And it's just a beautiful track. Um, it's about that walk, uh, this funky that's strut the, yeah, that's, of a that's song. The one. That slinky strut, that groove, the horns weaving in and out, that is... Boy, you know, there, there are at least three songs I could identify as a highlight, but that's one of them. Just got back from Paris You probably went to buy some clothes On your way to Nelson, New York Gonna meet you, heaven knows But it ain't about where you're coming Ain't about where you go Just, just amazing stuff. Extraordinary, uh, late. This lush, dreamy ballad. I love his delivery, his vocals on it. Um, I mean, th- this album is just totally buried. I, no idea it existed, and it has an excellent chance of, of ending up, perhaps even on the two songs I recommend to people who are new to this era. It's one I'll be re- revisiting and, and coming back to in the future because it's a fun listen. It's a great Prince album. Eli, any thoughts? Uh, I like it. Uh, you guys mentioned It's About That Walk, and she spoke to me. I I hadn't thought of it as a Steely Dan, uh, but it is, because it's, it's, it's very complicated chords, and he, the instrumentation is fantastic. Um, I think, yeah, I, th- I think Old Friends for Sale is, it's not a throwaway. And I think what, you know, just, just a point on all these records, but particularly this one, Warner Brothers releases this after Prince leaves and starts his own label and starts his own like mail order service, which turns it, you know, his own internet and all this other <laughs> ways of distributing music. So it never was really promoted. And he also, I don't think he played any of these songs live. And I think he also, didn't he, den- he denigrated come. He, he, he sort of in interviews, he said like, yeah, you know, chaos and disorder, those are really bad. Like, and I think that did have an effect on the reception over the years because he was doing that for his own, you know, kind of ego reasons and his fight with Warner. But, you know, if you just, if you know, there's so much Prince material he has done. He's released so much music that when the artist himself is sort of saying, yeah, that's not a good record. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't really think about it. That I think, I think that also detracts from it. And I think you're right. It is really good. He's incapable of tanking. If you didn't know, if you didn't know anything else, you know, you just said, oh, this is a Prince album. You didn't know any of the backstory. You'd be like, well, this is another great Prince album. This guy's just going yeah. from hit to hit, strength to strength. It's only because, yeah, he, you know, he, he even says these like things like these are, uh, if you go look at the line on this, so these are from private tapes, yeah. not meant for yeah. like, you know, publication or something like that. It's like, what do you mean private? It's like, this is some of the most well-produced stuff I've ever heard. It's like right. 17 <laughs> overdubs. It's super layers. You make it sound like home demos or something like that, and it's not. And, and you know, and he just he just runs the quality of it down, and that's why it's such a shame that it isn't appreciated. But of course, the reason he was doing that is because he was preparing for his big statement 
his big liberation because you know his 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 Warner Brothers contract had now expired. Now he was a free man. I think he actually signed like a one shot deal with EMI, and he was like an independent, you know, major kind of a hybrid thing. And he released, you know, he's ready to get out there, make his name again, go reemerge into the public. Uh, and what does he do? He 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 releases a really great album. Uh, well, you know, the CD era, right? You know, CD era, everybody's <laughs> self-indulgent. So it's 60 minutes, right? 60-minute album. Okay, it could be shorter, but still. Oh, wait, I lied. It's three 60-minute albums. <laughs> he releases Emancipation in 1996. It is three CDs. Each of them is exactly 60.00 seconds. Because, again, numer- oh, and each of them has like, like 12 songs, right? So numerology, Prince knows what it means and none of us ever figured it out and i guess i gotta say folks this is just too much of a good thing there's so much fantastic music on this record it's such a track for track i love so many of the songs on this record it's almost impossible it has been impossible for 20 years for me to just process it though because it makes impossible demands on any realistic listener unless you're like an ascetic or a cenobitic monk, perhaps, you do not sit down for three hours without moving or doing something else and just listen to a record. Even one hour is a hard ask, but three hours is impossible. So it just, again, I keep emphasizing this. We're getting to the point in Prince's career where he's releasing music for himself over any other consideration. That's a good thing and a thing, I, you know, a thing that at least is something that we, we salute artistically. But it just needs to be taken notice of that the reason that you find so much of Prince's later music unknown or difficult to absorb, despite it being as good as it is, is because it's presented so, you know, in such a difficult way and in such a difficult package. Who wants to start with? Oh, Jesus, we could spend three hours on this. <laughs> I mean, it's 30 songs. So who wants to go first? Ooh, everybody's here. There's a we'll, lot we'll, of... we'll, we'll, we'll take it in bits. We don't have to get it all yeah. out. I mean, come okay. on. Okay. I mean, so listen, much. there's a lot of material here to cover. There's a lot of great stuff on here. Of um, course. Yes. I'm going to highlight a few. Um, so the first I would highlight is uh, I, I love uh, on the third disc, Sleep Around. I think it's interesting because he's he, Prince actually has always been in touch with the kind of house scene, which comes house music kind of com- comes on its own during Prince's, you know, career. Um, and this is, this is like a kind of modern dance track and he's influenced by it. 
Um, and I think he just does it to kind of perfection. Uh, another one I really love is uh, Sex in the Summer. Uh, it's as the title suggests, that's what it's about. And it's really great. It, I like to play it like at this time of year as, as summer is about to start. Um, and um, Don't tell us what and, you're doing as you're listening. Yeah, right? fair enough. But it, it's just like one of those, like it just, and, and, I, and it reminds me of a really great time in the 90s uh, when, you know, I think the country has been a much better place too. Everybody's got a black book of emergency in case the sun is shining at the beach and the honey's out right to play the cool boys just to watching all the pretty moves you make fronting in the sun gelling for the one lover that you want to take home sex in the summer here we go I mean, I don't know. You could just go through a lot of the stuff. I don't like everything on it. I think somebody, somebody is another great one. Yeah. Joint to joint. Um, even though it's weird because in the middle of it, he talks about eating Captain Crunch with his soy milk. It's like <laughs> this is the song. This is the song where <laughs> Prince literally stops for breakfast somewhere in the middle of disc two, uh, and, and, and we just have to to take note of, of the fantastic line where he says that like, "Oh great, so now you think you're my soulmate? I bet you don't even know what my what what kind of cereal I like." Wrong, Captain Crunch. With soy milk. Right. <laughs> and then you hear him pouring the milk and crunching. You hear him eating breakfast. This is what I mean about self indulgence. Oh, great. Now you think you're my soulmate. You don't even know what kind of cereal I like. Wrong. Captain Crunch. Soy milk. Cause cows are for calves. You'd probably take me for half. You don't love me. You're a faker. You just want me for my acres. Yes, it is up, but on the other hand, joint to joint is really great. It's such a sneaky little funk groove, and then it, uh, it, it evolves and kind of changes and warps and everything like that. I love it. Um, and, you know, I think, think songs like Let's Have a Baby are just very sweet, sincere love ballads as opposed to, like, sort of the sex songs. Um, so it's great. It's great. It's a great record. It's just a lot. It's, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of material there, it's, but it's... You know he's in he's in peak form. He he just wants to show. I mean, it's it's emancipation. The cover is him, you know, breaking the chains on his wrists of the record labels, oppression, and this this is the era. And you guys know more about this value. But he's writing "Slave" on his cheek, right? Just yeah. just before this, and so it is an inordinate amount of music. And I just think it's him saying, "I can still do." Everything. I, I can still do everything that you think about me that I did in the past. I can still do it. And here it is in one three CD package. 
it's it's broken up a, a little, right? That that first album is probably the most popish, the most commercially perhaps uh, viable. That second album deals a lot with his his marriage, which is which is new. That third album is probably more dancey, more funky, um, and a little of the sort of chasing of, of of the trends we talked about previously. But there's a little everything, everywhere, and you hear him being you know very sort of production minded in the studio you hear him hear him being very relaxed and natural you hear something odd like court in time which i would imagine some people hate but i love this, I like this little throw throwaway you know jazzy 1920s jazzy horns on on that first album i, I, I like exactly that a lot good throwaways I mean, yeah that's exactly yeah, yeah. what you want more of frankly but him. but jeff is so right in that it's impossible to sort of I don't know, review interpret this in any sort of holistic way um you 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 have to treat it like uh like a box set or some sort of well he would do a crystal it's ball like, right it's like, all things must pass it's, yeah it's, and so well, you, no you, but all things must pass is just a double album it makes sense it's a double <laughs> album it a with, it's a triple but no it's not it's only a double album because the the uh the, the, the this is side thing it, it, the, the jam cd was just jam disc was just a free giveaway at first it, it's just a double album this is not only is it a triple album, it's a quintuple album because it's three full CDs. I mean, right, ugh, right, right. It's so it's three hours. Is so, a lot. so let me just sort of again bounce through and mention some things that really uh, sort of stuck out to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Eli already identified somebody, somebody that that might be my favorite track on this whole three hours of of music, and that's early on the first album, but it's this slow slow love jam and it 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 is the reverse lyrically of what you expect so much from from prince the guy you know who's uh, my name is prince and i am funky and all all this sex and 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 lust and this is him saying it's the reverse it's dying to be somebody somebody there's a there's a vulnerability on that track that is not found in a lot of other of of prince's work uh in this era that i I really uh, i really take to That second uh, disc has a lot of nice stuff. Soul Sanctuary uh, is a great track. I like Dream It About You. Uh, very smooth saxophone, this repetitive guitar figure, triangle chimes. You know, things are in the places where they should be. There was a lot of, this is not throwaway stuff. This is not, it's, th- these are songs almost to the letter that Prince spent a lot of time on to make sure they are what he wanted them to be. I like the Holy River a lot. I know Jeff's going to talk about that in, in a bit. That's one of the top, you know, three, four uh, tracks on Emancipation for sure. That third disc, perhaps to no one's surprise, is probably my least favorite third 
of Emancipation. Even there, though, I find some things that I like. I like uh, I like New World. Um, I like uh, Face Down's pretty good. Face Down. That's actually the next one I was going to say. Yeah, Face Down actually is maybe the best example here, and maybe the best recent example of him trying to be and stay current and actually pulling it Working. off. Yeah. Yes, I think it, it, this is him doing his absolute best to capture sort of the uh, the, the, the rhythms, but sort of the sounds that were popular right at this time and doing and a good the, job. The with defiance it. is a good look on Prince. I mean, you know, bury me face down right. with my ass in the air. That's the kind of thing Prince would always say too. So <laughs> it, it works coming from him. You what? Face down. Face down. New power generation in the house. Bury them all. And, um, and yeah, I mean, overall, you can't not recommend it because there are some real highlights. I didn't even mention Jam of the Year, which is the first track of the yeah, three hours, which is just prime funk. I mean, that, that is a great track. And at the other, on the other hand, you can't necessarily say, oh, this is where you should begin or this is your entry. And it's so hard to get your, your arms around something like this. And yet he is still cranking out, you know, songs that were among the best of his career. It's like that giant burger challenge, you know, at those, you know, boardwalk <laughs> restaurants. Like, if you can eat the seven-pound burger, we'll give it to you for free. And then you're like, I can do that. And you're like, you know, a third of the way through, and you're thinking, ah, oh, this is great. I can do this. And then you're like, you're, you're almost halfway through, and you're like, oh, man, I'm really feeling full. And then you, you're three-quarters of the way, and you realize, I'm not going to make it. I'm, I'm not going to make it. I can't do this after all. Uh, you know, it's a marathon. It, it, it's too much to absorb in any one sitting, as I've mentioned already. But you're right. The, the, the length allows for just some of the most ridiculous self-indulgences. I mean, this is an album where we already mentioned, you know, Joint to Joint, where Prince gets breakfast. But, of course, there's a section on the third disc where he follows uh, he, a, a collaboration with Kate Bush on my computer, which is a bad song, by the way. It's the only bad song on this record, I might say. He follows that with a cover mm, of... The, there's some other clunkers. But he follows <laughs> that with, with the cover of the goofy Joan Osborne song, What, what of If us. God Was One of Us. Yeah, yeah. What If God Was One of Us? You know, just a slob like one of us. Um, and here's the kicker. I was like, oh, God, I think it's okay. It is. I, I kind of like it. I actually think he does a decent job making it soulful. I can't believe it works, but it does. Yeah, yeah, God is great. Yeah, yeah, God is good. Yeah, 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 yeah.
Let me do another thing about this album. This is an album for the first time where he includes cover tunes. And, you know, yeah. not they're all really good. Like, I um, mean, you'd think like a song like If I Can't Make You Love Me is synonymous with Bonnie Raitt, right? So, like, when Prince does it, it's like, what is he trying to do? And yet he does a totally different version of it. He makes it, into, as, as you might imagine, he turns it into this very powerful, slow soul ballad, you know. And it, and it really, it really burns. And then, of course, you knew he was going to do great with the stylistics. Because, yeah, oh, that's yeah. just, oh, my God. That stylistics cover, I think that's that's on the third disc, right? Well, there's, uh, there's La 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 La. Yeah, La 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 La. He does a betcha by golly wow. Those three, well, that was yeah. on the first disc, but it's yeah. a la 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 that I'm just like that's that's a cover. It doesn't sound like a cover. It feels like an original Prince song. It's such a smoking groove. Tracks like Jam of Year are fantastic. You guys mentioned, you know, um, you know, Court in Time. I was going to bring that up. I'm glad you like that, Scott. But there's a song on here I actually think is one of like not only the five best songs on that I'll be mentioning on this episode, but I think maybe the five best songs Prince ever wrote. It's up there, and of course that's the Holy River. It's just hidden there in the middle of the second disc, which just tells you how like stuffed this album is. And it's a song I believe the story is that he wrote it like to commemorate his marriage mm-hmm. it was right before he got married and you can tell it's such uh, my i was my wife was like listening to it the other day because i had it playing in the background she walked she's like what's this it's like oh, it's prince she's like i never heard this song it's like yeah this is like during his obscure phase and she's like this is the most beautiful thing i've ever heard you know and so there's that line where prince asks you know so over and over you ask your soul why did you come down to a world so cold and the voice inside says tonight the truth will be told and of course, what is it? It's you know, you know, you know, this 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 holy river that they're going to join. You know, they go on down to the holy river. And, you know, call his girl, and it tells her that he has something to give her, and asks her to marry me. And they find that 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 wholeness together. Now it's a shame, you know, what would happen with Prince's marriage. Gosh, it's a tragedy. I don't even know if I feel like I want to talk about it. Uh, we'll probably have yeah. to discuss well, the death of his child at some point. Yeah. His child, well, I guess he was just missaid here. Like, you know, they you know got married and then they had a kid and the child was born with a terrible birth defect. It was, you know, uh, you know, not long for the world. And I think it died after a week or two or something like that. And gosh, you know, it's just no surprise when a marriage doesn't survive something as painful as that. So, you know, that's, that's what comes afterwards. But, you know, the, that doesn't have any bearing on the on the beauty and the purity of this song. When I, I think it's really one of the finest things of Prince's career.
my girl and told her I had something to give I asked her to marry me, she said yes and cried All that night I drowned in her tears and mine and Instead of a glass of sorrow or wine Looking back y'all, I don't miss nothing except the time Even www.email Email? <laughs> okay, okay. Well, it's not as good. It's not as good as email. Okay. Here's the thing. So, like, there's some stupid, undeniably stupid moments. Yeah, but on the this music's album. so good. The music's, the music's so, so good. good. You don't mind, right? Yeah, email. Exactly. Like that chorus is so. Getting back to Prince's weird and ambivalent relationship with the internet. Uh, I can't remember if it's this album or the next album that ends with like a telephone ad saying you know, call into this number or uh, go into like sign up for newpowerlove.com or something like that. Um, but yeah, so like this is a great, great record that is just one that you almost feel like you need to maybe say, okay, today I'll listen to the first 12 and then tomorrow I'll listen yeah, to the next 12. That's a good way to And that's the way you got to do it. Any final um, thoughts on Emancipation? I mean, we, we, should, we should mention on, on, on his his marriage to Maite and the tragedy of uh, losing his son. Um, two things on that. Uh, one is that um, uh, Neil Carlin and his, uh, he concludes that, it, it, that, that losing his son and the dissolution of the marriage kind of permanently changes Prince at that point. And something in him, like it, it, there's something snapped or something, he, he becomes a very different person as one would expect with a horrific and traumatic event like that in his life. Um, but, and again, I can, we can understand it, but his treatment of Maite, basically he exiles her, I think to Morocco, yeah. uh, never speaks to her again is really, it's pretty awful. Um, it's a bad side of Prince's personality, obviously, but, um, at that point, and I also, you know, Prince's touring, uh, has been touring so much. He puts so much into it. He's, a, he, we discussed this in the second episode. He's a vampire. He's recording at all hours. He's like, almost like completing a song a day still. Um, I think that he develops an addiction to painkillers at a certain point because he's putting his body through so much, particularly when he's touring and what he's able to do. And then we know that, you know, that that comes back, uh, you know, in a little over 10 years from emancipation uh, to, you know, where, where he ends his life because of uh, an overdose of, of fentanyl and other opiates. Yeah, I mean, you it's know, sad. So yeah. It is. I mean, it, 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 it's, you know, I guess, you know, we have to talk about it. It's, it's an unpleasant yeah. note, but it does end up sort of, I think, if you wonder, like, well, all of the things that sort of governed the way Prince's music, it's not it's not the same sort of story as most rock and rollers where they have like their big you know, peak and they just run out of ideas and they go into sort of a terminal decline phase because they just, you know, they said what they were going to say and now they're just treading water. Prince really actually, you know, his peak has kept going for so much longer than you might have thought. Uh, I think maybe the wind does start to get knocked out of his sails here, mm -hmm. and that's that's it. Um, but he's certainly not done yet, and I think no, 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 not by any means. Because <laughs> what happens next is that we decided, I guess, in advance that we weren't going to really spend too much time discussing Crystal Ball. But I kind of wanted to spend a lot of time discussing Crystal Ball because I love this set. This is this outtake yeah. set that he sold via mail order. I still have my VHS tapes, I think, of Comedy Central where I was like taping Mystery Science Theater 3000s. And they were selling this thing at 2 a.m. in the morning, all right, on TV. Uh, and uh, 
it's it's three CDs of just stuff from the vaults, mostly from Sign of the Times era and say that Love Symbol Diamonds and Pearls era. And again, you know, this guy is le- legendarily indulgent. You'd think three discs full of stuff uh, is is just going to be too much. There's so much great music on this. We've talked about a lot of the good Sign of the Times outtakes already when we did that. You know, we covered that whole era back in our previous episode, like Dream Factory, Crystal Ball, um, you know, Crucial is a great name. But the, everything else here is good, too. I mean, I, I figured, you know, Eli and I would just maybe name a couple of our favorites. Why don't you go first? Well, this is one of Prince's naughtiest songs. I love 18 and over. That's just, I mean, and you know what? He's rapping. Prince is never going to be a great rapper, but <laughs> it's pretty great. It's, it's pretty good. It's a good, sexy, nasty song. Um, and that one's really great. All I'm saying is that I want to smack it all night long. On and on until the early morning. Giving up all you need so you can get your groove on. And as long as I got your attention. There's a couple of new positions that I'd like to mention. Did you ever hear the one about the pinwheel? That's the one where I put your legs behind your head and real dirty like I'm spinning you around. Grab you by the waist and pump you till I hear my baby say, ow. That's what I know you like. I'm your nigga now, I'm about to reach your rights And any shows I'm a nasty boy My girl, you know you got the right to make plenty noise Cause this is your night and I'ma do you real good Just like a Kimasabi bone ranger should come I've talked about Crucial that was on my list. Everybody has to go listen to that. Crucial's incredible. I think they even included it on a recent Greatest Hits album. Yeah, that, which they absolutely should. It's I don't I never understood why that wasn't originally on sign. Why can't you have a door and Crucial? Come on, guys. Anyway, um, and I mentioned this before. I think I love Dark on Come, but So Dark, which is a kind of a remix of it, is even better. I uh, thought you were going to say Chlorine Bacon Skin was your favorite. Well, Chlorine track. Bacon Skin is phenomenal. I mean, that's like <laughs> classic. Morris Day, it's Morris Day, like you know, and Prince just having fun. It's oh, it's actually really hard to do. It's fifteen and a half minutes. It's too like oh yeah, oh yeah, and like yeah, Morris Day's just thwacking away on the drums. I mean, that's true outtake material. But this one is not, though. I agree. Yeah, I mean, and 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 uh, I would just uh, okay. So two two uh, one other point. The song Dream Factory, which you've talked about, we and Dream Factory is amazing, and that's another one. But it's in this period when D'Angelo comes out with Brown Sugar a few years before, I think it's 95. D'Angelo is seen as a kind of heir to Prince, and especially when he comes out with something called Voodoo, very Prince-like record, the song Untitled, uh, my friend Matt likes to say, is the best Prince song ever written. Um, I'm not saying that, by the way, but it, it's... And D'Angelo and Prince are friends, and, and Dream Factory is what, when it was like an outtake. Uh, you know, that was apparently D'Angelo's favorite song. Um, oh, one more, I will say, is Love Sign, the, the Shock G Silky remix. And Shock G, this is a, an example of where Prince is collaborating with hip-hop, because Shock G uh, is the sort of force behind Digital Underground, uh, a very important rap group in my view in the late 80s and early 90s. And he does this remix, and I think it, he makes it, better and it's like prince maybe is beginning to kind of 
uh, at least in selecting these songs for Crystal Ball, is kind of moving away finally from Tony M and recognizing that hip hop really is an art form <laughs> and they're, they're, they're artists. In this period, Dougie Fresh, I think, signs with his label, NPG Records. Um, so it, it shows Prince is maybe uh, maturing uh, and having a different relationship now with hip hop, which is a, a very good thing. Scott, this must have just been like, you know, a bridge too far for you. Another three CD set full of outtakes. But do you have any thoughts? I honestly don't. This is not one that I spent time uh, really getting into during the, the, the preparation for this show. That's okay. It's really great, though. I mean, I think the couple ones that I want to focus on, first of all, uh, Calhoun Square is just you know, mm. a poor little lost dog of a song. Didn't have an album project that it belonged to. I think it was recorded in 93, 94. It's just a great rock number, a really great rock pop number. It could have been a hit. It could have been an actual single. But if you think about what Prince was doing at that time, it doesn't sound like any of the music that was coming out on like the Love Symbol album or come sounds like maybe some of the stuff you'd hear on gold experience actually but uh yeah just a really great lost track And the other one I want to mention is Strays of the World, which is just another a beautiful little uh, uh, little, little lost, forgotten ballad that uh, I'm always just amazed that, like, you know, wherever you turn, you, op- you, you, you turn a rock over and there's another great Prince song. Fully formed, all the horn overdubs completed and everything. You're like, well, well does he just have these things hiding in the vaults? And I think, I think he does. I, I seem to recall there was this really great story that Kevin Smith once told about, uh, the, you know, the director about talking with a guy who worked with Prince. And he says, like, you don't understand. Like, he has years worth of material, like calendar years worth of material in the vaults that will never get heard. He's been recording basically nonstop for the last decade. So it's just hilarious to find, you know, here's a three CD album full of completely unreleased material. Almost all of it is good. Uh, But by the way, you know what? Since you ordered early, since you were one of the first people on the mail order list, we're going to give you an extra bonus CD. And, of course, this <laughs> is Prince. So what is the bonus CD other than an amazing album of completely new original material that's one of his finest late period works and you've never heard of it? It's called The Truth. Eli is a fanatic for this record, and he has yes. every right to be, so you take it away. What okay. the hell was he doing throwing it away, Eli? Okay, so – little context in this period uh in beginning in the mid 90s what do we have we have the phenomenon of mtv unplugged records as we all know and i believe around this time eric clapton has one and on eric clapton's mtv unplugged you have a song called tears in heaven which sucks even though it's about a very sad thing about his son falling out of a window yeah it was 93 right so all right so five years before now going to become relevant as I talk about the truth because on the surface the truth appears to be an unplugged record by Prince of originals um, except it isn't because all of the songs have at least some kind of very deliberate filter 
computer modifications on it. There will be there. It's it's largely it has a, the the vibe, the atmosphere of the album is very much focused on the acoustic guitar. But a lot of the songs will then have moments of intense layering and lots of other instrumentation. Strange. Um, I mean, they're, yeah, they're they're yeah. real. They're, they're fully orchestrated songs on this record. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So it's on the one hand, it's an unplugged, but it still. This is feels, not John Wesley Harding, okay? No, no, <laughs> no, it's not. But in the but it still has that feel. So I mean, and and you had an uh, an insight in the email, Jeff, that I thought actually really is a great way to explain it, which is that he set himself some rules for the record, and that actually it brought out even more creativity. So the rule I think was, you know, I'm going to show you that I'm an amazing, one of the greatest guitar players, but I'm not going to show you that the way I showed it to you in the 80s when I would rip off like the Let's Go Crazy guitar solo or something like that. I'm going to do it by playing really brilliant rhythm guitar. always thought that this in some ways the genesis of this is on the very first prince record for you on the three kind of acoustic ballad tracks he rediscovers the style here with the benefit of you know almost 20 years of it really is like technology. strange like this is the first time in 20 years you've heard an acoustic guitar on a prince record it feels like isn't that yeah bizarre? it is yeah. weird and it's great i gotta tell you it's in my view his last truly great record um, I, if, if as a, as a hardcore, uh, you know, friend of Prince, as they say, not a pretty, you can't say Prince fan. <laughs> if you tell me, if I say, okay, so like, wh what, what do you consider to be the greatest Prince album? And you told me, uh, chaos and disorder, I would dismiss you. And I say, you have no idea what you're talking about, because <laughs> in my view, there are like four good answers for Prince's greatest, which is purple rain, sign of the times, dirty mind, 1999. I will allow a few others like parade or something or controversy, but you know, it's basically we, we know the, we know the great stuff we've covered in the show in the tier right below that, which I would include many of essential Canon albums. That's where truth is. So truth for me is in like the around the world in a day uh, level of uh, love, sexy, uh, which are in my view, wonderful, great albums. And truth is just as the quality is there. I don't think there's a bad song on it, though some songs are much better than others. So let me just go through, uh, first of all, the opening track, The Truth. It starts off as this very sparse blues. And uh, what's he talking about on this song? He's like, he's got to tell the truth. Life is not a piece of cake. It's no mother piece of pie. What? What is this? And then it's like, 
right towards the end, you get this weird grunge punk release. And he just kind of screams and you, you hear, I think it's like an effect that makes it sort of sound almost like, it, like, like screaming banshees almost. And it's very effective. I love the playing on it. Again, every song on this, the playing is really just it's so in it. It has both that intimacy, but then kind of you, you, you tap into that anger. So I'm a big fan of the title track. Everybody's got a right to love. Everybody's got a right to lie. But the choice you make it ain't no piece of cake. It ain't no motherfucking Circle of Amour is a love letter to Joni Mitchell. It is uh, about uh, a group of uh, friends in high school who are girls and they, they, they and their lesbian experimentation. It is voyeuristic, but I think it's quite beautiful. Uh, I think I wrote in an email to Scott that it was like pervert Joni Mitchell. Um, <laughs> I said I, I wasn't sure if it was great or if I thought it was a little too voyeuristic. Yeah, that, but I yeah, think it's, I think it's a really beautiful song. theme song it's the best song about veganism i've ever heard <laughs> he finally exposes the uh, corruption of the big milk industry um it's it's in some ways a trifle it's in that category of by the way uh, we knew he was going there with joint to joint because we, we knew it exactly because he talks about like calves and cows aren't calves like that like he had this animal rights thing that was percolating underneath <laughs> I saw are. a friend of mine today who, in an ad telling me what would do my body good, which is like the old milk ads that used to be on It TV. does a body good, right, yeah. Yeah, it does a body good. And then he says, like, you know, like, if God wanted me to have the milk, he'd have, a, like, a line around the hook or something like that. And then I just, like, you know, don't give me red meat or white fish, no blue cheese. I love it. It's so great. And We're talking about a song about Prince's dietary habits. Yeah, it's about his dietary habits. It's in that same kind of category. It's like, 
like Starfish and Coffee, which is it's a trifle. It's a, it's in some ways a very silly song, but it's beautiful. And the dissonance between the verses, which sound like like mid '90s grunge, and yeah, it's like a dirge. It's weird. It's a dirge, and then there's this Sly Stone super funky chorus, but it works. And I just, I love it. I love Animal Kingdom. No member of the Animal Kingdom. Nurses pass, pass maturity. Oh, 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 yeah. No member of the Animal Kingdom. Ella did a thing to me. So I don't need no red meat or white fish. Funky, funky blue cheese. All members of the Animal Kingdom. Leave your brothers and sisters here. I gotta say, the last three, the last three closing tracks on the truth. That might be that might be my like best close of an of a Prince album because one of your tears is so nasty. Uh, sometimes I, it's, you know, better than the used condom you sent me, baby. That was rude. <laughs> sometimes I want to die and come back as one of your tears, and um, you know, there's a there's sort of a great little like filigree at the end where. And then it goes into Comeback, which is, which is, I think, his version of the Tears in Heaven song by right. Eric Clapton, except yeah. it's wonderful, except it's a beautiful song. Uh, if, if you ever lose somebody who's near to you, never say the words, they're gone, they'll come back. And it's also in that great vein of the cross, which is, you know, great Christian rock. There's something that's very much in the end of this album, particularly in Comeback and then Welcome to the Dawn, which I think is beautiful and brilliant. And in that chorus, because he, again, he, it, it's so slow, it's all in that rules of the acoustic guitar. And then you almost have like that Beatles-esque thing at the end. Um, nah, 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 that part of it where it does sound like a kind of a Beatles song, but it's, it's not. And then, you know, it just ends and it says, welcome to the dawn, thank you. And then that's it. It's perfect. What a great way to end the album. Charge you make is karma. So be careful what you do. I think it's the last truly great, great Prince record. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, I don't think, I think, you know, put it on. It's not like, it's not like Emancipation. It's only like 45 minutes. It's, 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 
you know, he, he disciplines himself. It's so good. I really, I'm an evangelist for it. Go out and get it. Listen to it right now. It's such a light, graceful record. Scott, what are your thoughts on I don't know how much I can add to what Eli said. Uh, he sold this one hard to us um, uh, leading into the episode, and he's right. It, it's, it's outstanding. I, I think the one song that he didn't mention that I, I will is Don't Play Me, which is the second track. Uh, my only competition is me in the past, Prince says on Don't Play Me, a really just wicked acoustic number on, uh, on the truth. Uh, Circle of Amor made a lot more sense to me after I realized it was not Circle of Armor. I had misread that title at first. Uh, makes more sense as Amor, indeed. Third Eye is another one that uh, that uh, Eli actually skipped. But that's a great song on here, too. It's, it's a rock song. That's a rock song that's just dressed up in drag. Yeah. It's an acoustic guitar number. That's one that, that yeah, you could have heard just, you know, you know as on a normal album. It's very, you know, it's pretty intimate. And that goes to thematically, too, as, as Eli said uh about comeback he's mic you know is very clean his vocals very clean you really get to hear him use both his rhythm guitar skills as eli pointed out and also uh stretches vocals in places too in the way he, he sings lead so yeah it's not it's not top shelf top level but it's somewhere in that mix below and certainly at this stage of his career a surprise i think okay. something like this would would be released but it's yeah it is really good I just find you know the quality level of this stuff to be inexplicable because you know he keeps pulling it off. You guys literally named almost every single song that I wanted to talk about. The only one else I'll mention is uh, just actually a very casual one called "The Other Side of the Pillow." Oh yeah, very yeah. kind of slow, easy blues. You know, it seems so simple, but you know, what things you realize when you hear this is like I've never heard Prince sing a blues song, have I? Really haven't actually, if you think about it. Or maybe five so women, right? Maybe or just. Five women, maybe. Yeah, about that's about. That was recent, you know, yeah. like in the timeline here too. Yeah, yeah and, and, and the truth is, the truth is a blues, although you know, with that great punky freak out at the end. <laughs> right, exactly. That's what makes it feel qualitatively different. And so, yeah. like, it's just really again, like it's nineteen ninety eight, and like Prince is still finding very fresh things to do with his music, very new things to do with his music. Okay. hits a wall necessarily but certainly hits some speed bumps because uh his next big album is uh, raven to the joy fantastic i remember a lot of hype for this one when i was young i remember seeing it all over i was in college at this point and it was all it was big promotion for it It was in every best buy every record store 
I didn't pick it up then. I only picked it up far more recently. You know, just sort of as I was completing my Prince collection. And I know Scott really loves it, but I have to say <laughs> I'm not impressed. Scott, such why are lie. you such a big fan of Rave? Such a lie. I think it's a mess. Um, I think it's a pretty bad album. This is... Um, when he's talking with Clive Davis from uh, Arista Records, and this is around the time when Santana has the big comeback, pa- pairing yeah. up with Rob Thomas and, and others, Everlast on, on his album. And it's sort of the, the template that Arista has to take these older artists who have had great success in the past, but uh, not as much recently, make them a little modern, pair them up with, uh, with, uh, with, with current stars, and watch the money roll in. And that template was kind of followed. Gwen Stefani is on here, and Cheryl Crow's on here, and Eve is on here. But boy, I, I don't think the songs are all that great. I, I think we, we, we've talked a number of times in the past about how good he has at knowing how to make these longer songs compelling. I think that, that skill betrays him here in many places. These yeah. songs are too long and don't go any real places uh, in many in many ways. Um Boy, I'm not sure about the even the instrumentation. I mean, you compare what you hear on Raven to the Joy Fantastic to what New Power Generation was doing about six years previous to this. There's no comparison at all. This is not a extremely well-played album in my mind either. I struggle to find things that rise above the level of just okay. I can and, think of one song that does. I could say Every Day is a Winding Road. The yeah, yeah, that, on that's the one I was gonna say. Yeah, that's well, the there. Great. You go. That's the one song on this record that I think is really actually a top tier song. Not just good enough, but that's a, that could be. That's a great song on any Prince album. <laughs> don't think that's a great uh, cover. The, the one that I think I've marked here is the simplest song on the album, which is Wherever You Go, Whatever You Do. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that one too. It's, it's not slathered in production. It's not covered in sort of odd instrumentation. And it's sort of perverse in that it's the only thing from this album that is sort of designed to be a, a comeback in some way and designed to be palatable to a wider audience. The one thing I kind of like is the thing that probably is least geared in that direction uh there's just a lot of stuff that maybe rises to the to the level of okay but nothing i don't i don't see anything really great uh, on the entire album i mean it, it did the business by the way it, it accomplished its goal you know it was his most successful album in several years but yeah i guess it is it is kind of a bad sign when i think that my favorite track on it is the one by cheryl Crow. <laughs> um but anyways i think eli was about to agree with me what were you gonna say eli well okay um Notes on this record. Uh, one, uh, 
thank God there's no more Tony M. He he brings in, he collaborates with Chuck D and Eve. Uh, and Eve at the time is like a pretty hot, you know, current rapper, Chuck D. Chuck D, yeah. I don't know. That guy doesn't have much potential. Yeah, well, I don't think yeah, he's going to well, amount to anything. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, you know, could, couldn't you have collaborated with Chuck D, I don't know, in like 1991? would have been a great right. time. Instead right. of putting Tony M on those tracks, just get call up Chuck, your prince, you could do it. Um, uh, you know me, I'm a sucker for his ballad, so I like Man of War, but it's not the best. And everything else is just kind of like mediocre, and you're, you're right, it's like he's struggling for direction. Uh, I want to stress something here that it's not like after the truth, everything is terrible. There's a lot of really good moments. We're going to talk about something that Jeff has, you know, rightly highlighted in a few years here, but it's not the same. We had a great 20 year run, everybody from for you to the truth. And now uh, we're just in a different phase. That's yeah. And so I think we decided we were going to talk maybe a little bit more impressionistically about you know, yeah, these, these last true. few albums of Prince's career. I mean, this guy put out 41 albums or something like that. So like, you know, hopefully the audience will extend us some charity here. <laughs> there's a lot to cover. Hey, look, we, but, did, yeah. we did the same thing with Dylan very late too. I think we, <laughs> yeah, well, it's like because you really don't need, you know, 35 minutes on Down in the Groove or Knocked Out Loaded, for that matter. Uh, you know, it, it's funny to me that the, the, the most interesting songs here are the ones with the guests. That's never a good sign. Yeah, so I like the Sheryl Crow song. I also like I Love You, But I Don't Trust You Anymore, which is, uh, is it Andy DeFranco on that one. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's just weirdly kind of flaccid. And, you know, it's always dangerous to over-psychologize to uh you know you know say like oh well that you know it's clearly what it is that caused it but it is very tempting to say like something changed after his son died and um i don't know what happened myself but what i do know is that i'm okay with ravens of the joy fantastic i don't hate it i just don't really ever feel the need to put it on and i think it's far too long the first prince album i can ever remember actually disliking is his next one the rainbow children I I struggle to find anything good to say about this record, and I thought when I came back to it for the show that I would find at least something I could hold on to. I I really haven't, and I know Scott doesn't love it either. Nope. So I'm wondering if Eli, you're, you could redeem this one for me in any way, or at least you know partially try to explain it. Okay, so I think Questlove when he's on Twitter is trolling other, like, Prince fans. By saying this is one of his favorite albums? Yeah, no, he he had, like, a list of his top records and Rainbow Children was, I think, number six or something. I think awesome. it's a troll. I'm pretty sure that's a troll. He He's doing it deliberately. Um, and, you know, Questlove knows more about Prince than anyone. There is one track on the Rainbow Children, which I think is very good, which is Muse to the Pharaoh. Yes. Now, Muse to the Pharaoh is lyrically totally influenced by weird numerological Jehovah's Witness stuff, and I'm not trying to understand it, and there might even be some slight anti-Semitism, although... <laughs> you never, never be sure, right? Yeah. That, you know, okay, fine. But it's yeah. uh, that's, that is a really beautiful jazz groove, and I do like that one. Everything else on it is not worth your time. If she could be muse to the Pharaoh She, she then 
It's just weird to like, you know, like how did he lose the plot so suddenly? And I guess we've kind of come up with our answer for it. But like, yeah, it's just like it's so surprising to me to like go through all of this music and say, oh, still cruising along. It's just fundamental approach musically I like, right? Even if the music isn't top tier, I just like the way he records music. I like the way he puts together sounds. And then I hear the Rainbow Children, and I'm like, something is really wrong here. Scott, do you have any real opinions on it other than you think it sucks? No, I think it uh, I think it sucks. Um, <laughs> Come on, give us the, something. The, the, the tracks where Prince is pitched way down, the deep, uh. deep, deep, deep. Uh, delivery as as kind of the narrator doesn't uh, doesn't work. It doesn't work quite as well as Camille did. Let's no, put it and then, that and way. then you have what three eight minute long jams tacked on to the end of the album, which you know you think you'd be rewarded for making it that far, but no, you actually get uh, get twenty four minutes of music in, in three songs. I, I, these two albums, uh, Rave and, and and Rainbow, to me are by far the 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 nadir of the career. I I just don't see a lot in either of these places to recommend. Yeah, and, and I would have said that this was really the end for Prince if it were not for the one that he just, thank God he found, he had one last bullet in the chamber to fire, in my opinion, which is, I think, his last really great album, the one that comes right after this, which is, you know, if, if Eli says it's the truth, I say it's One Night Alone, which is a, a great comparison because I consider One Night Alone to be an interesting analog to the truth. If, if the truth yeah. is that the acoustic guitar-based album, this is his piano-based album, all right? And what's notable is that neither of them are like, you know, what he's most known for, which is like the electric guitar and the hot funk grooves and all that. No, this is him writing really beautiful piano songs. They're not all ballads. Some of them are pretty brisk tunes. And, of course, there's that cover version of A Case of You by Joni and Joni Mitchell's uh, great song from Blue. And, of course, being Prince, you know, he does the most Prince thing imaginable. And he slices out that first verse, which is just so self-lacerating that there's no way Prince could sing it. So he just goes straight to the second one which is just about I could get drunk on how awesome you are. <laughs> so he, he, he takes away some of the emotional pain on that track, but he still does a beautiful cover of, of a song that he clearly has loved since he was a small child. I'm a lonely painter I live in a box of paint I used to be frightened by the devil And drawn to those ones that weren't afraid Remember you told me love Was touching souls Sure you touched mine Part of you was Out of me From time to time These lines favorite song on One Night Alone, though, is Objects in the Mirror. It's just this quiet little piano song that, again, all these things. I think you couldn't even buy this CD, so I found it on MP3s at first. 
which I'm sure Prince would have been thrilled about. Uh, a friend gave me an illegal copy on MP3 when I was like, I don't know, I must have been in college at the time. Um, and uh, I remember thinking Objects in the Mirror was as good a song as How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore. At, and I don't think it is anymore. I still think that that's the better, you know, the better piano track. But I really love this, again, this simple, simplified, stripped-down music-making approach where he sets limits to himself that do not limit him creatively. They discipline him. That's my favorite time with you. Just after we make a movie The kind that requires A title Parental advisory Let's brush our teeth in the same sink Don't worry girl, it's cool We can both Sure. I mean, I, you're right. This is a great record. And I, I mean, I, mean I, I, I can modify. I think we can say this is the last great one because it's yeah. really, really quality music. And, you know, he could have he did later something called piano or I think it was after he died. He, there was something called piano and a microphone. Which yes. And, 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 and I was like, that's clearly the one that alone vibe. Yeah. Yeah. That's the same. Right. But this is. um, Yeah, I like it. I love Prince is a really brilliant performer. He's best known for being such an innovator in the studio and having all these weird layers and creating new sounds on, you know, on the Purple Rainer and everything like that. But getting him, uh, you know, as raw as possible, very similar in some ways to like the vibe of a Sometimes It Snows in April, which we both agreed in the second episode, really one of his great peaks. Um, I love it. I love his version of Case of You. Um, and I... Also, what did I, 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 because I, because you mentioned, I, I, I remember when it came out, but I re-listened to it for this episode, and I thought, you know what, Jeff is right. This is a really beautiful, intimate record. The one I love is "Have a Heart on This." Um, yeah. I think it's a really, really pretty song, and uh, it shows his range. And I love it when he, you know, we all know that Prince has vocal chops, guitar chops, everything else like that, and he can dazzle you, but when it's understated. And when it's so intimate and soft and kind of gives you that, it, there's something really special about it. I, I cherish it. And uh, it's, a, it's a really, really beautiful record. I recommend it very much. Don't you have to have a heart first before you get a broken? Don't you have to want to tell the truth before the word is spoken? So what about the heartbreak? didn't hear a whole lot of this one guys but i did move forward because 
There's one last gasp, I guess, or maybe two last gasps in my mind of, of, of Prince, and that, that's the next two, what, Musicology and 3121. 3121. I don't know what you guys think about. I, I kind of Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, why is this slander? You guys aren't, aren't talking about the Slaughterhouse, Expectation. <laughs> you, can well, use, you can do that yourself. 100 New Funk. Come on, guys. Well, I wanted it. Okay, I wondered if you were going to talk about One Night Alone Live. That live album box set, I have it. It's pretty fun, actually. It's a 2002 show, so that means, that, of course, you're getting some Rainbow Children tracks, unfortunately. And it's not his best band. You know, He certainly had hotter bands, but it's kind of fun to hear. First time ever a Prince concert. Uh, as for the ones that, that Eli mentioned, yeah, this is the era of like bizarre side projects. Uh, yeah, Expectations, C-Note, News... These are not albums that we need to pass over as anything but a joke. I think news. I remember when I first mentioned we'd be doing a Prince three-parter. People were excited. And one guy who was deadly sincere said, man, I can't wait till you guys talk about N-E-W-S, news. That's the best Prince album ever. <laughs> okay, people that, actually, that person is now out of the Prince community. Come on. That per, there was people asked, like, mind? Are you, he said, like, I know it's a minority opinion, but it's just a really great record. <laughs> Better than, like, go back and listen to Dirty Mind. Okay, like go back and listen to that. The reason we're laughing, folks, is that news is maybe we'll just drop a quick clip. And it's just like a smooth jazz album. I guess that's the best way I can describe it. It's like the kind of stuff you'd imagine the band playing at sound checks to warm up or something like that. There's no real commitment or focus or anything like that. It's just a bunch of random grooves. project music it doesn't matter the album that matters is the one that scott was about to bring up which is musicology it's 2004 um and again this is i i'll just say my thoughts is that i'm disappointed in it i, I just it, it to me is the first time i it's not as bad as the rainbow children by any means but it feels generic in its soul and its funk moves and i feel like something about the production has changed too that it doesn't sound like that sort of uniquely Prince sounding music. When I listen to like you know the first three tracks of particular like musicology and then I'll lose your coma pimp and circumstance, it's like this sounds more like the stuff I was hearing on the radio at the time, and less like Prince who existed in his own unique world. That's my my kind of my feelings about these last two records in general. But Scott, now that I have interrupted you for like four or five minutes, what were you saying? I can't really talk about musicology unless it's in the um, uh, sort of um, without talking about what, what came before and what after, uh, what came yeah. after essentially, which is I think that musicology is better than Rave at what Rave was trying to do in a way. I, I think musicology gives you a little peek, a little window of, of him at various stages throughout his career. It's not necessarily backward looking and it's not him at the height of his powers, but it does sort of let you know it's not he, he hasn't lost everything and i think but but I, I need to say that i don't think that musicology is as good as what it does as 3121 is which which comes which comes in a moment and i'll sort of hold on off of that in, in a minute but or for a minute but i think musicology there are some things that 
work well. Uh, illusion, coma, pimp, and circumstance. That sort of staccato, twitchy, uh, funk. funk. So ugly, the bitch beyond compare. Dropped a couple hundred thousand dollars on a silver whip just to match the color of her hair. I said, what? She said, I got plenty of what you need. Put the spoon down, honey. Come on, let mama feed you. Oh, you you but she couldn't dance. So I hit the to the funk, exchange for the finance. Where was I? Oh yeah, gentleman he was. He never spoke about her nose. So Cinnamon Girl is, is a pretty good pop rock song. I, I hear just maybe little hints of like a Raspberry Beret type melody hiding in there. Um, a Million Days is one of the frustrating tracks, and there are a few here in which it's got a good melody, pretty good bones, but it, it I'm just not sure it's finished. It's, it's sort of shined to a level at which we're accustomed to from from Prince. Um, there's, you know, there's the falsetto slow jam, which is uh, which is on the album. But, so you get, there's, a, there's a, a Dear Mr. Man, which has this grooving bass kind of backbeat to it. I think musicology gives you these little peaks, as I said, of, of him at various stages of his career where he's trying to sort of dig back and go back and, and bring it forward. And um, it was, you know, just like Rave, these albums did sell uh, the, both this and 3121 was a number one album for goodness sake uh, the, went two years after this and so there was still a market and there was still some interest and it's just unfortunate that people who are uh, who are coming to him at, at this point aren't hearing him I think anywhere near the, the, the height of his powers yeah, that's fair that's fair I, I saw um, Prince on the musicology tour concert and it was amazing um, I would imagine he's an incredible performer. It wasn't like seeing the Love Sexy tour or the Sign of the Times tour, like which I think would have been the best time to see Prince. But it was great. Um, Dear Mister Man, I've always liked Dear Mister Man. It's like an act. It's an activism song, um, but uh, and in a great groove. Matthew five five say the meek shall inherit the earth. We wanna be down that way, but you've been tripping since the day of your birth. Who said that to kill is a sin? It started at Brasenko War that your people beat in. Who says that water is a precious commodity? Then dropped a big old black oil set in the deep blue sea. Who told me, Mr. Man? Musicology is a fun track. Uh, you know, he's don't touch my James Brown records. I like that. But uh, we're at the point now where it's like Prince is no longer superhuman because you're happy if you get three really great tracks on these records. Whereas before, when you're talking about a Prince record, you're like, wow, I just think every song on here is amazing. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, my expectation is that there might be two tracks I dislike as opposed to two tracks I do like. Yeah. And that, that, that he, he, it's like he's back down to earth. If, if Prince was, you know, a lesser artist, I think we would judge these 
it's musicology in 3121 and i agree 100% with scott that 3121 is a pretty good record but it's also like we're judging it against this past work and in that respect they'd feel like letdowns if he was again a lesser artist and didn't put out a, like three more than three hours of great music on like emancipation <laughs> a few years earlier uh you know wow i wish he could have saved some of the emancipation tracks for maybe these you know like i don't know um, yeah like on like on 3121 there's a song like like black sweat I yeah really black love. sweat's a good one yeah a great song but i think to myself oh, it's a great song but i've heard him do this so much better This is, I guess, you know, this is what I mean when I say, like, there's, I regret it because, you know, like, I would love to be the guy who had a really strong counterintuitive take <laughs> on, like, Lotus Flower or 2010. But, you know, I, I've, I've just, I went back to them again, you know, for, for this time. And this is the period where, you know, there are little bits and pieces here or there. There are songs. And, of course, you know, this is. Eli and I are here to help you find some of these little little gems here, but it, it's no longer one of these things where I say, "Well, you need all these albums in one way or another." You really don't. Um, but on the other hand, Prince didn't disappear, so he, he was doing all these other hilarious things that we'll talk about too simultaneously to this. But you know, what, where are we now? We're still in, geez, two thousand and four, two thousand and six with thirty one twenty one. So, like, what's the next thing that happens? It's, it's you know, he's doing all these side projects and. Do you consider, like, you know, I guess Planet Earth is his next big real project, I suppose? There are, again, once again, I, I like some of the songs on this. I, I particularly like Future Baby Mama, which is a sort of good clergy thing for me to admit. But I just, you know, this is not the Prince in the New Power generation of the early 90s to me. I've heard it We've given you so much content on this print stuff. You know, we're not going to, we can't get into hit and run. We're not going to artificial age. It's just not like, you know, they're, they're fine. We wanted to give you the highlights. I think we've, 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 we've shared some really great stuff that you may not have known in this, in this episode, because oftentimes people don't listen to stuff past the eighties from Prince. 
Um, but you know, we're just you know, there, there's there's only so much we can do here. Right. I mean, I, I think the other <laughs> yeah. thing, the other thing. Welcome to, to America, which is a posthumous record, is is actually very good. I think. Which was surprising because I had zero expectations for it, given that yeah. it's like he had done it just prior to his death and it was unreleased music. And I hadn't been impressed by anything that had come out recently, uh, particularly the hit and run. I did not like it all. Um, and I was like, well, this is actually surprisingly good. But the thing about Prince is that he didn't just disappear in the 2000s. It was almost like he was like sort of putting out semi-indifferent music. But he was coasting on his, his reputation as a legend in most hilarious and like bizarrely entertaining ways. So, like, this is the era where, you know, like Prince would randomly pop up on New Girl. Does anybody remember that TV show, New yeah, Girl? Yeah. I love that. I love that. You know, I, I, my, my wife still compares me to Schmidt all the time. Um, so, I, I love New Girl. And, it, like, why did Prince show up on it? Because he just happened to be a fan. And he liked Zoe Deschanel. So, he's like, all of a sudden, he's a guest star on it. But, of course, what are the things that we know him for? I mean, this is the man who, in 2000, we, Scott and I were, were trying to figure out that this. Was it 2007 when it happened? This single greatest Super Bowl appearance of all time. And I remember thinking when it first happened, when it, we were, I was watching the game, I was like, oh, this will probably be disappointing. These things never live up to it. I thought the Who sucked at their Super Bowl appearance and all that. And then Prince went out and he just played the most amazing set that anyone has ever heard. And it has simply become like, you know, people say, like, why would you ever want to play the Super Bowl, man? Because Prince, Prince has been there and no one else will be able to do better than that. Yeah. Are we agreed that that's the best Super Bowl performance ever? Well, uh, it, yes. Didn't Whitney Houston was Whitney Houston's was version of the Star Spangled Banner, Banner a Super Bowl or was yes. it an Olympics? That, that, was the, that wasn't the Super Bowl. That was the, that was the the, the, the national anthem. Yeah, and yeah. also, you're forgetting up with people in 1980. Oh, that's um, right. And 1986, it was the Bears Super Bowl. Uh, Super Bowl 20. They were, did halftime. <laughs> that's actually as well. what I was thinking of. Yeah. I was thinking of like the worst possible halftime act. So, like you know, he's he, he's coasting on his rep. But then, of course, like what's the other thing he did? Just oh gosh, it was just a year before he passed away, which is that he attended the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. No, 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 that was that was 2004. That was for himself. Oh, that's and right, right. But well, one, I thought you were talking about the uh, the George Harrison thing. No, this is in two, that's this is in 2015. Is when that happened. I thought. No, no, no. 2004 is, is oh, two, 2004. Okay, I'm so bad with my timeline. I thought it was early. Okay, so this is this is the one where he gets up and plays while my guitar gently weeps. Yes, with with Petty and. With uh, the Honey Harrison. And, and, yeah. And, yes. And, of course, it's one of these things where the, the clip is available on YouTube. It's, it's one of the most famous things that anyone's ever seen involving Prince, especially in an earlier era when there was nothing available on YouTube from Prince because he'd gone to war with, with not only his record label but also with the internet in general at this point. Yeah. So his The only was, superstar to ever sue his fans. Yes, the only superstar to ever. Well, no, but Metallica sued their fans, didn't they? Oh, okay, fair. I guess you're right. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, yeah, you know, good old James Hetfield. Uh, 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 but um, so not only does he show up to the Hall of Fame to play, you know, like you know, for you know George Harrison's being inducted, his son's there on stage. He goes out. You know, it's the last second. They're told he's gonna be playing while the guitar gently weeps. I think he does it the sound check. He holds off. Like he just sort of plays like a nice little drippy solo, and then somebody warns them. He's like, yeah, he's not gonna do that for the show. You know that, right? So like what he did do at the show, he comes down, he plays like a three-minute-long guitar solo. It's so flaming hot, it practically sets the stage on fire. And at the end of it, he just chucks his guitar into the audience. And that guitar has become one of the most legendary missing items in rock lore. <laughs> People wonder where the hell that guitar landed and who has it. And you've got to know it's sitting encased in glass in some private collector's collection. And it's been assessed at like $4 million in value because that thing – 
people would rob and kill to get their hands on it because it's so awesome a moment. Yeah, so Prince Prince's music is his actual recorded studio outfit may have tapered off, but you know he was always there and he was always one of those great shows. I saw him live. Uh, gosh, I can't remember if it was 2011, 2012, something like that. Uh, and he was still fantastic. Very, very tiny person on stage in real life. That was the funny thing. I'd always heard stories about oh, Prince is short. And you realize, wow, Prince really is short. You know, you, you didn't realize it until you actually see him up close in person. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's just you know, a fantastic, you know, output. And then, of course, it all ended in 2016. I don't really feel like there's any need to explain what happened. Eli covered it earlier. Painkillers. I believe he was found in the elevator. It was just sudden. It was just one of those things that was maybe just like, you know, the wrong day, took the wrong pill, or it was a you know lifetime's accumulation well, he, of abuse. There's some since then. I mean, I, I keep coming back, but Neil Carlin's book is very good on this. But he he had been there was an incident where he they had to ground a plane that right. he was on, right, uh, right, and he that. thought he had sort of died. And and like in he had been telling friends, you know, I, I just I'm so tired, I wanted to end, and at the same time he was you know you really couldn't tell because he was always so productive he had been doing these concerts where he was doing solo piano in that last year and um you know it's it's very sad there are some who say that the people who were around him because he was you know he was in some ways very isolated living at paisley park should have been more aware of this um and intervened i mean everybody's going to say something like that in a situation like this but I think what, you, what you're seeing is somebody who lived life so intensely, never slept, um, produced so much and for so long that, uh, you know, I mean, at age 57, he was, you know, he, he didn't really have much left. And I think that's what happened there. Scott, any thoughts? I um, love that performance at the Hall of Fame. I actually was yeah, in Miami really for the Super Bowl that he played, but not at the game because uh, I was a lowly radio producer. And so I was, at a, <laughs> I was at a sports bar watching the game. I missed the entire halftime performance because I got in line to use the men's room at halftime. You know, <laughs> that's where was, the Bears are playing. I, I, uh, I missed the whole performance. So I had to go back and, and actually view it uh, at, at, at a later time. So I, I can say I was in Miami for Prince's Super Bowl performance, but not actually at the game 
at that time. And well, don't worry, you didn't miss much. <laughs> I read a, <laughs> I read an interview. <laughs> I read an interview like just last weekend. I think it was in Parade Magazine, which I read religiously on Sundays, um, with one of the New Girl stars, and he he was saying that Prince would. Now I, I don't know New Girl, so Jeff, you'll have to tell me if this is correct. He said that the Prince would only do New Girl, or he really wanted to do it, but he only would do it if. He was able to bring the two characters together. Is that what happened on the show? Yes. Yeah. Okay. He wanted to be matchmaker. Yeah. That's the only way he would. He, that's the only plot he wanted to take. He wanted part a in. happy ending on the show. It was yeah. really cute. So that's why yes. he did New Girl. Um, so yeah. And it's, it, it, on, on the t- on the TV stuff with Prince, he was uh, he he loved like kind of middle brow crappy TV. I mean, he was a huge <laughs> fan of The Office. He he had a a kind of These famous crappy shows. <laughs> that's not a crappy show. Fair enough. He had a famous impersonation of Fonzie from Happy Days that he he, he liked to watch that. He was a big fan like, as a kid of Barnaby Jones. Um, and, you know, he he had the side of him. He liked professional wrestling. On the other hand, you know, he he writes a song like Ballad of Dorothy Parkey, which clearly was influenced by one of these uh, one of the great writers of the 20th century. So he had high and low tastes, much like his music, which could be right. brash. Yeah openly like crude profane or you know reaching for the stars um you know prince prince contained multitudes yeah the sacred and the profane and basically everything in between uh it 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 was an amazing career and i guess you know it's always depressing to say this but i do think we're just not going to look upon the likes of people like this again not at least in the music industry as it's currently configured because for somebody to be able to just not only do it all practically but you know, like Frankie, you know, like, you know, he, most of all, he did it his way, um, you know, and have an industry that will actually allow him to get away with that and support it and make you yeah. famous and make him a star doing it. That's just not going to happen again. Uh, not the way that we see it. So, like, you know, you know, you, you don't want to be mournful, but we should celebrate the fact that this actually existed, that a, a guy who's unapologetically as weird and bizarre and you know, just downright freakishly odd as Prince was able, instead of having to bend himself to the rest of the world to fit in with what the world thought he was supposed to be, Prince was the guy who actually bent the world to become what he wanted it to be for him. That is just a stupendously impressive singular act of focus and self-fashioning. And that, yeah. I think is where we leave Prince after three episodes and a deep dive into many, many years of material. Eli Lake with us from Commentary. Also check out the new podcast, The Re-Education on the Nebulous Network. Now entering its fifth season. (laughs) (laughs) Time of the show where we bring you uh, the two albums you must own from this era and the five songs you need to hear. And our guest always goes first. Eli, your two albums and five songs. All right, well, my first album is going to be Emancipation, even though it is incredibly long, but it's so rich. There is so much good stuff in there. Uh, It's worth it, even though there are maybe like one or two duds. Um, And then, not surprisingly, my second is The Truth. You have to get this. I I really do think it's up there with his finest work, if not necessarily the top, top tier. It's right below. It's such a great record. I love it. Um, My songs. Okay, so... I'm going to start from the truth. Um, Welcome to the Dawn, which is the closer. I love that one. Uh, One of Your Tears uh, from the truth is another great, great uh, song. I I can't say enough about it. Now, we didn't talk about this because we did not, we couldn't cover every side project and everything else. But in 
1994, the new power generation released a Prince record called Exodus. And Prince is all over it. And there's a song called Count the Days, which also serviced on Spike, the, the soundtrack to Spike Lee's film Girl 6. Uh, it is really, really something. I hope we play a clip from it. Um, it's a hate song, like <laughs> I Hate You. It's about hating someone. You just count the, you count the days until you can kill them. You know, like it's that, that's the idea. But uh, he just, he nails it. If we hurry, we can catch the train. If it was left up to say enough about it um from the love symbol album the first album we discussed i'm going to put on morning papers mm -hmm. and for my final recommendation from the th third era of prince i'm going to go back to love single um sorry love symbol and i'm going to give you love to the nines which i've always loved uh just uh it's just such an infectious kind of major key guitar groove more than a groove um and uh it's it's a really sweet song and it's it's in many ways like sort of about being he was truly in love with my tay um at this period and you can hear it uh and uh it's 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 really beautiful all right my uh two albums here from prince in this third era or at least uh third uh third episode here on the political beats uh the gold experience I think it, it's the album from this era that holds together the best. And I, I, I come at Prince as one who has not heard much of the material before, or at least, I mean, I've heard the hits and I've heard this and this, but, but not all the material we've covered until prepping for the episode. And if you're like me, uh, that I think the gold experience is, the, is absolutely the best place to begin from this era of Prince. And that second album, I'm going to make good of my threat and, and say it's the vault. Um, Boy, it is just a fun album, uh, full of just things you things you would not necessarily expect from him at that stage of his career. Little things that that, that he has done previously, an album here or or, or a B side there, but these these really quirky, really neat flourishes show up on the vault, and it's a really uh, uh, rewarding listening experience and real listening experience too. Songs from this era, the five, I'll say, uh, a sexy MF. Uh, that that is one that goes near the top of any era of Prince. From from Come, uh, Let It Go, just, just a fantastic single. That's the one song that could be a single from that album and should have been should have been bigger. Dolphin, as promised, uh, one of I think his best really kind of pure pop moves of this era. I think Five Women from the Vault is a song that you should hear. And I've got a couple I was going to choose from for this last one. I know Jeff's going to choose that one, and I know that Eli just picked the other one. So you know what? I'll actually go back, I guess, to come. Uh, weird to pick two songs from that album, I guess, but 
but dark I, I think dark is just a phenomenal song and you'll, be, you'll make at least one of our fans very happy who thinks that come is actually one of prince's greatest albums and is upset that no one else likes it well there so you go he'll like my list oh, no, no, i gotta i gotta ask what were the two that you were choosing oh, from the morning movie? papers which i know yeah. which you already picked and that i know jeff's going to talk about the holy river here in a moment so I, yeah. I give you one additional option here on my list jeff over to you all right. Well, my two albums are C Note and News. Clearly, the <laughs> best. Of, uh, no, obviously. I mean, okay. Listen, here are my two albums. If you just want, like, literally a digestible experience, as Scott pointed out, it's the Gold Experience. That's the one you start with. And boy, oh, I've been thinking about this. I know I complained about it so much, but I, my second one is actually going to be Emancipation, on the logic that hell, you might as well just get, you know, yeah, that's right. yep. that much. You might as well get three 60-minute records. It's not bad music. You'll enjoy the whole thing. You know, if you give it enough time, I think that is, that's probably the best two-CD, two-album introduction to the era. As for the songs, I think I'm going to start with seven. I'm saying, if you are standing in the way of love, that song will smoke them all. All right? With an intellect and a savoir-faire. I love everything about the lyrics to that song, even if they make no sense. The harmonies, the little symbols, the little finger symbols that go cling, cling. Seven is a classic song. Dolphin, it, Scott already chose it, but I have no qualms about choosing it as well. It's one of his great pop moments. It sounds like something like a cousin of Take Me With You off of Purple Rain or something like that in that mode. And it's just like, well, I, I had forgotten that this style of Prince existed. The Holy River. Uh, from Emancipation, as Scott correctly pointed out. Yes, I think this is one of his greatest ever songs. To say nothing of his five from this career, I, I, I think, uh, I don't know if it was my friend John or if it was my friend Phil who pointed out that the problem they have with Emancipation is that once you listen enough times to the Holy River, you realize that everything else on the record is just a cut below it melodically. Uh, and I guess um, uh, the next one I'll choose is from The Vault, Old Times from Sale, and that's about that walk. I just love that sneaky little strut. Uh, and then the last one is going to be from one of those weird side albums. I love the truth like Eli does, but I think that I like One Night Alone nearly as much, maybe even a touch more. And from One Night Alone, I'm going to pick Objects in the Mirror. I think that that's uh, the best song on that record, but then, then that's a record that's just so even in its quality. And, you know, I, I mentioned two above, but there's just so many weird little records that of Prince's during this late era that you can pick up knowing nothing about and you will not be disappointed as long as you don't get news. <laughs> and there you go, the now full and complete, though delayed, look at the career and music of Prince from us at Political Beats. We thank our guest, Eli Lake, contributing editor at Commentary, fellow at the Clemens Center at UT Austin, and check out the new podcast, The Reeducation with Eli Lake, on the Nebulous Network. Find him on Twitter, too, at Eli Lake. Eli, thanks for joining us and bringing oh, so thank much Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Thanks, Eli. Jeff, another one knocked off. We uh, we will soon uh, we'll, we'll have a, a exclusive content episode very quickly for May, and then begin laying out the summer schedule, which is always a blast. Always a blast. But you know what? Maybe we should do some bite sized ones. You know, maybe some tiny ones too. Maybe of, we've got some big ones. We maybe get some small ones too. Find Jeff on Twitter at Esoteric CD. Uh, my name is Scott Bertram. I'm on Twitter at Scott Bertram. Appropriately enough, find us at. Patreon, too, where you can help support us and help the show stay ad-free. Patreon.com slash Political Beats. Uh, entry level for uh, support and some voting privileges. Mid-level for early access, higher audio quality. And upper level gets you a bunch of stuff, including those exclusive content episodes. Patreon.com slash Political Beats. 
Subscribe to our feed for new episodes. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or go over to nationalreview.com and check out all the fine podcasts there, including this one. You can find us on Facebook. You can join the conversation on Twitter at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. <laughs>